Welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it's You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. Ah, such easy prey. Let her go! Oh, I will. Beyond her wildest dreams, she will go into my mind, and I will go into hers. It's the greatest sensual pleasure there is. You never knew pleasure, or David, only pain. <laughs> Get me back, my <laughs> Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood, as we continue our month of crazy scientist here in 1980s horror movies. Up next, if you like a kid scientist who grew up to adults who are only five years old, but we can have sex. If you like doctors who we, we, we briefly mentioned him in the first movie, but now we made him heels on this movie. And if you like slimy creatures, this is a review for you, brother. Because the Retro Blood's talking all about The Fly. Number two. Brother. The Fly 2 is here. Yes, it Jay is Allison. here. Allison. It's definitely here. James Klein. What's happening, everybody? What's happening, Allison? How you feeling? Good, man. Uh, so you got WrestleMania in the books, so we're heading on... Uh... And still in the bi- busiest se- wrestle- wrestling season of the year, so we're heading uh, into Backlash, which will lead us in eventually into SummerSlam. Um, so yeah, um, everything's good, man. Uh, the metal is good. Lots of good shows coming up. Uh, we're in Mad Scientist Month, which is uh, exciting for me because I love Mad Scientist movies. Um, yeah, everything's great, man. How's everything's with you? It's good, man. I like uh, the Mad Scientist, and we do have some... Uh... Mm. The more doozies for everybody, which we'll say at the end of the show, what we got Ew. coming up in the, the rest of the weeks. But, you know, the the this one, you know, it didn't really focus around like a mad scientist, but it, it kind of focused around a mad scientist boss. You know, yeah. like this bird talk. science in general. Yeah. Yeah. And mad, crazy, gone experiments, fusion, wrong science. So, you know, The Fly 2 does get some flack. For not being uh, yeah. a good movie, or people don't really like yes. it, and I can I can kind of see that. But you know what? This is my first time watching this movie. Okay, yeah, me too. And I didn't think it was as bad as the people were saying. But well, I, well how how could it be, right? How could yeah. it be as bad as people say? I mean, you know, it, I think it was a situation of. Uh, I mean, I kind of liked it too. I mean, I like. I mean, it's not good. It's not the first one, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's one of those things where we went into it with such low expectations that we actually enjoyed it. Yeah, because, so, you know, I get where it the spirit was missing. You know, the first one, like we talked yeah. about last week, had a very emotional plot line. You know, it had very, like, more character building arcs. Yeah. With Brendel and, like, you know, his love affair with Ronnie and uh, the the bastard newspaper Barnes guy hating it, and you know just the the slow progression of uh, Seth turning into an insect and realizing his basically his life is over, 
and he can't do anything to fix it. And then when he tries to fix it, he becomes like a mad, trying to join everybody together, and he just eventually gets his head blown off. You know, so very, the, the emotion was there. This one was a little bit more like, let's put some money in this and expand it a little bit. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. with the the actual emotion wasn't there. You know, they tried a little bit with the Beth and Marty storyline to try to make yeah. it a little bit more emotion. But, you know, like I said, we'll get into it in full detail over here. But I could see why a mass audience would be like, eh, you know, we'll go with, we'll, we'll go with the first one. You know what I mean? And besides. Yeah, I mean. Go ahead. I was going to say I had a really good cast. and. Yeah. I knew absolutely nothing about the second movie, honestly. Like, I knew that it had come out. You know, like, I knew it existed, but I knew really nothing about it. But, um, and, and like I said, like you said, we'll talk about this more when we talk about who booked this shit. But um, as soon as I saw Frank Darabont and Mick Garris' names on it, I knew it, wouldn't, it couldn't be that bad. Yeah. Because those guys are incredible. Um, but, yeah, I knew it couldn't be that bad. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a situation of, Two guys who are good writers trying to do the best they can with something they were paid to write. Yeah. And, you know, The Fly doesn't really have a lot of source material, you know, mm-hmm. besides, you know, the the two movies. It's not like there's like some sort of Fly universe where they could, uh, you know, yeah. took some stuff from. So they kind of just make it up their own, you know, kind of well, continuing up yeah. the storyline with the little Brindle baby. Yeah. Well, there's there's no Fly universe yet. Yes. Well, we could still, uh, that could still be part of our prequel sequel project. Oh, there you go. For all these movies. <laughs> so we could start the fly universe. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, I, yeah. I could probably uh, come up with some some wacky storyline to oh. keep his shit going. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, but everybody, like on every Retro Blood, uh, we talk about what is going on around the release date in two categories that me and Allison love so, so much the metal music and the pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. The reason we do this for all of our new viewers is we like to create like a weekend. You know, what 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 are yeah. two guys like me and Allison, two guys like you guys, you know, guys or girls out there like us, like the metalheads, the rock, you know, wrestling fans, the horror movie fans. Yeah. What what are we going to be doing for the release date of The Fly? We're not just going to watch this movie, you know, stuff our face no in a way. bunch of popcorn, brother, and drink that Bud Light. Yeah. All no right. Way. Or whatever 80s beer is out there. <laughs> all right. We're not just going to do that at the theater. We're not going to go to the drive-in, brother, with their hot mamas. All right? We're going to make this a weekend, brother. But, so, this this film was released in February 10th, 1989. And I always like this 1989, because this, this, this is the year that we're, we're creeping into the 90s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we're yeah. almost there. So, and we have talked about this a uh, month before on the Retro Blood. Check out the archives, everybody. When we talked about Absolutely. the Chai Town Rumble. Mm-hmm. All right, that big uh, the big Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat hour match that they did all the time. That the, This is part of their three trilogy series that they had here. Uh, Chai Town was, yes. yes. Um, I don't think that was the hour-long one. Wasn't the hour-long well, one? I thought, yeah, the hour one was, they, they, the true hour one was there, but I think, you know, they always yeah. act like they went an hour. Well, oh, yeah, true, yeah. You know what I mean? We always went an hour, brother. Yeah, remember Rick Flair? Like, every night, you know, I went an hour, brother. Okay. <laughs> There's no way that's true. Okay. There is no way that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, but th- but this show, uh, so we'll do the pro wrestling first since we segmented mm-hmm. into it. So this show we watch is actually going to be on the. So we're going to start doing this a lot more, I think, because I think it's just a little bit better for the actual wrestling reviews. 
So, you know, yeah. on the Peacock, brother, all right, there is some old yep. school wrestling you can find. And, you know, we did last, last week, we did the WCCW territory out of Texas. We did a show that was airing near the uh, release date of the Fly One. And now we're going to be doing Crockett, which is one of our favorite reviews to do is Crockett. And this is their uh, Saturday night show. They're 605, brother. Saturday yep. night show that actually might be coming back. Intent with yeah. ADW. We'll see. But um, this show was. Uh, so, maybe you could talk a little bit about the, this. Stu- so we, we talked about studio wrestling a little bit before. But, Allison, can you tell, yeah. the, tell the audience what is studio wrestling? Yeah, so studio wrestling is basically a way, the way a lot of wrestling used to be done because you got to consider that back before the mid 90s, at least, maybe the early 90s, even, the main way that a, ter- a wrestling territory made its money was through ticket sales. So pay per view was did exist in the late 80s in this era, but it was really new and probably most people couldn't get it. Um, so. Most most wrestling promotions made their money by selling tickets, which is why when you watch a lot of studio wrestling shows, you get like a star versus a jobber. So you get, you know, somebody that's going to get the shit beat out of them and you're not going to get two, you know, main event caliber guys find each other on TV because you got to pay for that because you got to put butts in seats every 18 inches or whatever Tony <laughs> Schiavone used to say. 18 inches, but, brother. Fail um, <laughs> to the yeah. rafters. <laughs> but um so basically studio wrestling was filmed like it's what it says it was filmed in a stu- tv studio now there was an audience yeah. but like a very small audience it was probably like three or four rows maybe uh for the wcw ones and it was just like you know i'm sure the tickets were probably free most tv show tickets are free um so they would go and at this point i think they were filming in atlanta yes atlanta. Um, i think they mentioned that um and that during the show but uh, yeah, they were filming in Atlanta and they would go and they, I mean, I'm sure they didn't film every week. They probably filmed a bunch, probably did it like ring of honor used to do it where they filmed a bunch of shows all at one time and then just broke them up over, <clears throat> excuse me, over a certain amount of time. Um, but yeah, studio wrestling was wrestling at a studio. You would have, it's really strange when you compare it to wrestling today, cause you'd have like in one corner, you'd have like a podium and you'd have an interviewer and then, and then, um, people would come by the podium and do an interview and then to turn around and walk like 20 feet to the ring and have a match. Um, it was just really bizarre when you think about the way wrestling is today. Yeah. Um, and then the, then the interviewers were also the commentators at the yeah. same time. <laughs> and they always had to um, stand up. I always thought that was weird. And they, yeah, they stood up the whole time. They stood up for the entire just show. Just holding microphones um, in their hand while standing up. That must be like a little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And no, no barricades. Um, like if you, when they spilled out into the floor, they were like right in the fans' laps. Yeah. Um, it must have been an amazing time no mats. to see wrestling. No mats on the yeah, floor. No mats. Too. No mats. Solid concrete. No, this, uh, um, but yeah, it must, this had to be an amazing time because you, yeah. you're probably in there with maybe like, maybe at the most 50, 60 people, super close up to these stars. I mean, fuck. Like one of the matches they got on this show, I would have loved to have been in the audience for that match. I'm like, fuck, this is like, this is crazy. Imagine, I was just thinking about that. Like, imagine seeing these legendary stars super up close. Yeah. Like, in a yeah. very intimate and, viewing. It's just, it's just awesome. Yeah. And TV studio rooms are really small. I mean, they're smaller than you would think they would be for filming a TV show. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, and I'm assuming we're talking about the same match. Yes. Um, I, I, I was trying to take notes about it and I just gave up. Right, was awesome. It was too. It was too fast. Well, before we get into the whole uh, show review, you know, something about very intimate close-up wrestling. Like I, me, and Allison have experienced that before. We've been either been front oh, row yeah. or we've been super close to the ring. I mean, when you're like that close to the ring and you're seeing it's it's pretty amazing. Like it it it's like a whole new way of watching wrestling. Being like in the front row or just seeing the ring like very close up. It's just like yes. it's like yeah. it's like it's like stuff you watch on TV. Or maybe if you're on an arena, like we were seeing it like live close up, it just, it just, it just got a little different. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I, I had the luxury of going to a couple shows where I was like either front row or like second to front row. Yeah. Every, every time I went to an Art Ring of Honor show, I was like, a, I was like a front row brat. If like, if I couldn't sit in the first like three or four rows, I didn't go. Yeah. And I remember the last Ring of Honor show that I ever attended um, before the pandemic was uh so, so they had that one final show that i didn't go to that i'll always regret not going to but the show before that i bought my tickets too late and i couldn't get ringside tickets so i so i went to concord anyway i got a ticket i went to concord anyway and i sat in the balcony and just pouted the entire time yeah. <laughs> i just sit there with my arms crossed drinking my beer yep and uh you know the main event was like cody Rhodes and the young bucks versus um what we call the best friends now but yeah. it was trent and uh chuck and somebody else and then um but yeah and, I, and that was a great funny match but like i just sit there and like pouted and cross my arms and man but uh but yeah i can remember a better story though is like the first wrestling show i ever went to i've never told this story to, i don't think i've even told this story to you first wrestling show i ever attended was an ecw house show in atlanta um in gwinnett and um we were on second row nice and when uh steve carino came out he was like in his blonde hair about to go into well it was a little bit before he would go into the feud with dusty Rhodes, but he was in his blonde hair super super heel days and um so he comes out for his match and then some guy like right nearly right beside me said something to him and he turned around and he's just like screaming in this guy's face <laughs> And just like screaming in his face, just being a super heel, a Jeff Jarrett level heel. And as and then he, you know, he leaves the guy alone and turns around and gets a ring. And as soon as that happened, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like I knew that this is something that I wanted to experience yeah. forever. Well, um, it was just, it's just incredible. Well, speaking on that, and then we'll get into the review about wrestlers going off on fans. <laughs> so the last Ring of Honor show I went to was I don't, I'm not sure if it was a TV taping or a house show. It might have been on TV. But it was the one where it had uh, Cody versus Christopher Daniels and Cody went mm -hmm. to the flaming table. Really long time ago. Yes. So Matt Taven and the Kingdom were on the show. All right? And I've always been a big a big fan of the Kingdom. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, they obviously don't get a lot of screen time right now. Like here and there they do. But I was always a big fan of them. I thought every time I saw them, they were great. Especially that Matt Taven guy. This guy, he was going off on this yes. fan while he was selling his gimmicks. He was eviscerating this dude. I was like, this is so great. <laughs> and like the the thing is, I got it recorded, and I just never uploaded it or nothing. So I probably should do that. Oh, man. So yeah, uh, He would do that. The Kingdom would uh, do that all the time. That was yeah. back when it was um, uh, Taven. Um, who's the big, tall, skinny guy? The, um, Mike Bennett is his partner. Well, no, yeah, but Bennett was gone by then. It was when I saw them. Oh it was, yeah, uh, it was uh, um, yeah, the, the wild, wild horse guy. What's his? What's that guy's name? 
I don't remember that he also I got think, no I know he had Vincent in there. Vincent, yeah, Vincent. And then um but there was another guy in the in the in the kingdom that was really good. And I can't think of his name. I don't think he even wrestles now. Yeah. Um but uh, anyway, but yeah, they would do that like bet- in, during the um during the intermission almost every show. They would go to the that's when Taven carried that big staff with him. Yeah, the staff, yep. Yeah, the staff. And then he would they would go to like the gimmick table and like stand on a table and just scream at people essentially. Yeah. It was great. And this guy was just <laughs> yeah, going off awesome. on the people and I was like, I recorded it and shit. And I was like, I just never upload <laughs> that's the one thing I gotta fix in my it's uploading my shit. I have so much stuff and wrestling stuff to upload in concerts and stuff. So I'll get that going for everybody. Maybe I'll maybe I what I'll do is on our Facebook page, I'll upload that to everybody if you guys wanna yeah. see a wrestler go off on our fan. See if I can find it in my archive collection on there. It's actually pretty great. Um, but let's get into this show. Because this is, you know, this, this obviously we'd be watching this show after we see The Fly. Because, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're one of those guys who see the movie right when it comes out, brother. We ain't right in a couple yeah. days. All right? We're seeing that no. shit front row. Or maybe the maybe like middle row for movie theater. Maybe the middle row. Yeah, we gotta we gotta see it before the print gets all fucked up by the Monday yeah. morning and yeah, exactly. It's still fresh. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to get spoiled by the New York Times, brother. Nope, all no, because right. we got to read newspapers to get spoiled. Is exactly in, in 1989. Speaking of New York Times, I'm gonna do a little special thing after I do this <laughs> review. By the way, uh, so, uh, very good. So we're doing February 11th, 1989. If you guys go to the cock, the peacock, search World the Championship cock. Wrestling. Not WCW Monday Nitro, but the WCW World Championship Wrestling. Go there. I believe it's season five, and then you can find it February 11th, 1989. So we start out. We see Ricky Steamboat beating the shit out of Ric Flair. I was like, okay, we're starting this shit off hot, brother. He's like beating his ass in his fucking suit and everything. I thought it was great. But it's only like a short clip. They used to do that, too. They they would show like short clips a little bit at the beginning of the show. So we get out here, and we start the show. We have Jim Ross. As our as our commentary brother, and we have, um, uh, we have uh, what's it? Magnum T A, or T I? No, no, T no, yeah, it's T A. I always say T T I. You always say T I for some reason. Yeah, Magnum T A, fucking mullet and mustache himself, on commentary brother, and the first person they interview is obviously Ric Flair, and he's going off. Ric Flair's going off like, listen. You got this fucking uh, Ricky Steembo coming back to the NWA, and I think it's a conspiracy from you, Ross, <laughs> and trying to embarrass me. All right, I'm still custom made. I still, I still wear, I still drive limousines. I still go out and rich, uh, uh, you know, drive uh, lim- limousines and jet flying all you know, this whole shtick that he does. And yes. <laughs> the one I thought was like random it was all like, is. <laughs> He was all like, "Listen, Steamboat, you know you're like a you're like a one <laughs> you're like a one woman man. I love yeah. all women. I love all I love kinds all of different. Women. I love all kinds of women. That's why I don't like you." And I was like, "Listen, Ross, I don't care if it's you, Ross. I don't care if it's Ted Turner. If I want to go on the streets with Latoya Jackson, I will." It was so random. I was like, "What the? Did I miss something here? <laughs> Latoya Jack? Okay. Just, I mean, it was were you not the, supposed yeah, to? Yeah, he was just like." <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand what he's talking about. Like, I mean, I'm sh- maybe it was something for the time that we just yeah. don't know. We just don't, yeah. But he was just like, if I want to walk out on yeah. the streets of Atlanta with Latoya Jackson on my arm, I will, will. because I'm Rick Flair. Flair. Yeah. And I'm just like, All right. okay, that was just real random. Like, a, is that just somebody that came to his head? 
Like he just thought of Latoya Jackson at that very moment. Like he Probably didn't even did. say Janet Jackson. Like Janet, you know, was like the famous Jackson sister. Yeah. Like you know, Latoya was also, I guess, during this time, like uh, you know, she was making music and she was she had hits, but she's not the first Jackson I would think of. Yeah. But like you know, but he's just like it's just so random. And it's also random that he, for some reason, thinks that Jim Ross is responsible for all this. Yeah, Jim Ross and Ted Turner are responsible for (laughs) Ricky Steamboat coming there and embarrassing him. All right? And then uh, I do it, like, a little bit. There's, like, the little side thing at the beginning. Like, the fans were heckling him. He's like, these fans are freaking morons. And he just goes on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he, he, yeah, he seemed, like, legitimately pissed off when uh, when some guy, like, yelled something at him and he he just under his breath at these guys. Well, we saw that kind of, too, when when they were doing the the what chance to to his daughter, uh, Charlotte. On SmackDown, she was getting a little pissed off at oh, the fans yeah. too. So, you know, there there is nobody who can gets pissed off at the fans better than Ric Flair. I mean, I love it when he goes off, and I think he does like the best. He's all like, "Kid, I'm gonna take your mama, show her a real man's like, you know, some shit like that." <laughs> he, he just did that so so well. And then he also yes. says, like, you know, I also you know go out with the richest people, and then he brings out um uh, the 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 what's his guy the um is that Hero Mansuda that he came out with? Yeah. Yeah, that's Hiro Matsuda. So I was going to bring that up. I had to research that. So I was just going to wait and ask you for it on, ask you about it on the show, but I didn't know if you would know this. So I looked it up. So I thought it was weird that there's no four horsemen. So I was thinking, did they get rid of the four horsemen at this point? But they were, they were a lot, and they were aligned with uh, Hiro Matsuda for some reason, but they were doing this thing called the Yamasaki Corporation. Yeah. Was what their group was called, but it was basically just the four horsemen renamed, apparently. Because hmm. I think Arn was Arn and Tully were still in it, if they hadn't left for WWF yet. Um, no, I think I think they're in WWF, right? Or they're about to be around. This, okay, yeah, I was about to say time. they were they were either about to be. I know they left in 1989, but this yeah. is February, so I don't know if they'd left yet. Um, but yeah, so they were doing this this steel steel this heel stable called the Yamasaki Corporation, which Hiro Matsuda ran. So that's why they're aligned with him. But yeah, that was Hiro Matsuda. Right. But you don't see much. I mean, he's yeah. uh, you hear about Matsuda. You know, he he's the one that trained Hulk Hogan and broke his leg or yeah. whatever. But mm-hmm. but I I believe um Barry Windham was part of the at least at least a tie at least tied up with Ric Flair according to our boy Lex Luger. Yeah. Which Lex right. Luger he, he definitely was was up next, brother. The total package, brother. Mm-hmm. And boy, you, you never see. So you know. Actually, I, I kind of like what they were doing with Luger, Luger at this uh, show, on this show. Because basically, they were saying is, you know, Luger, he... So apparently, Luger, this is already when Luger has fought Ric Flair. He he tried to, you know, take the world title from Ric Flair. He didn't, he didn't yeah. win against Ric Flair. Right. But they, and, and they're saying the reason is because, you know, since Lex Luger is so new, he doesn't know all the skills of the trade yet to beat Ric Flair or bigger wrestlers like Ric Flair or Barry Windham. But, you know, Magna was saying, like, listen, you know, when this guy came in, I was impressed with his physique, but his skills were kind of lacking. Now, I'm actually yeah, pretty impressed say. with the guy because he is very <laughs> honed into his skills and making his wrestling ability a lot more. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think they could, I think they should do that on commentary, like, nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think yes. th- that that is something I think is missing in, like, wrestling. Where, like, you know, you get, like, a new guy out there. Like, you could do, like, well, you could do this with Braun Breaker. You know, get him out there, get him hot for a little bit. You know, have him lose to some of the top stars, but then have him coming up and then having the commentaries. Like, you know, when he came over here, yeah. I'm like, like, he was, 
did stuff good in NXT, but you know, he lost to a couple of big stars, but like now he's he's honing his game in. So I think yeah, that was a good I, I agree. I was gonna say I agree with that. Like they like commentary on wrestling honestly is not very good right now. Um even in AEW it's not very good. I mean I think Michael Cole now that he doesn't have Vince McMahon screaming in his ear yeah, is better. Way better, yeah. Um yeah, like during WrestleMania he 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 you know he said some things that I really like. Yeah. Um, but they're all trying to like copy what Jim Ross did. And I don't know if you can copy that. Like Jim Ross was really emotional when he would talk about Steve Austin and just like, you know, and just like, he he was just really good at portraying this really emotional feel. And they're all trying to copy that now. I I feel like at least, but yeah, like I feel like, um, somebody like Caprice Coleman is really, really good. And he does that kind of thing now. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. He does that. Yeah. Yeah, like at that Ring of Honor show last week where he talks about, um, like he just throws shit in that there's no way he could have thought of, he could have written down. Like where he said um, at that Ring of Honor show from last Friday where he talks about um, wrestlers, he's like, he's like, when you're a wrestler, you don't even, like, you can't even sleep on your back. Because yeah. he's talking about somebody kicking out. He's like, when you're a wrestler, you can't even sleep on your back. You sleep on your stomach. Because sleeping on your back just don't feel right. Yeah. And that's something that you can't teach somebody. Like that's just something that he came up with. And I mean, he's really he Caprice Coleman is fantastic. Yeah, he's he's like the last of a breed, I think. Yeah. So they're also so we get like a little inset promo from Barry when I'm talking about Luger and his title match happening. Basically, yeah. Barry just says he's pretty much going to out wrestle because he's more skilled, brother. So right. of course, you know, so so Luger wins with not only the torture rack, everybody, but he, mm. according to Jim Ross, the original name of the torture rack was. The human torture rack. <laughs> that's something I guess that, that was too long. That's something our, our boy Bartox would have loved. The human <laughs> torture rack, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So then we get a uh, a little pro. So, you know, this show is mostly known for the, the, the promos. On, uh, oh, on, yeah. Every time you watch a Saturday Night Show, you know you're going to get a good, good promo. Mm-hmm. So this one was kind of awkward, though, like a little weird. <laughs> so we have Jim Cornette on there. And he has his uh, Midnight Express, yeah. Um, and he's gonna go up against uh, Paul Heyman's Midnight Express at the pay per view, and he's all talking about. Apparently, Paul Heyman had some sort of sex change, and he's trying to reverse the <laughs> sex change. Uh, so, <laughs> you have to realize, people, people yeah. out there, it's 1989. Yes. <laughs> so we probably wouldn't have things like this now, considering no. uh, you know all the shit that Rick, Rick Steiner got into last weekend for being such an asshole to someone of, you know, like to a trans person, but like, but yeah. So basically he has like a copy of the sun, yeah, which is like a tabloid newspaper from the time, I think. And it has like a picture of, uh, of, uh, Paul Heyman. Yeah. And he was saying that Paul Heyman, he's saying Paul Heyman used to be a woman, right? Well, no, no, no. So Paul Heyman had an accidental sex change. And he's trying oh, to yeah, reverse he had an it. Accidental sex yes, he's trying to reverse it at the pay per view <laughs> by winning a match. I don't know if that really works out like that, but <laughs> according to Jim Cornette, that's how it works. But you know, I mean, Jim Cornette probably still thinks that. So. Probably. Oh, don't give it. He's don't give that guy a hard time. <laughs> nah, I'm on. Nah, he's, he's right he's, more than he's wrong. Yeah, you know, Jim Jim Cornette is very you know to the wrestling fans. He's like very hit or miss. Because, you know, he doesn't really like a lot of the newer style of wrestling. 
But you know, uh, I I could say the least. I could see where he's coming from from certain points. So I'll give him the yeah. I'll give him the, uh, yeah. the the credibility there. So th- he basically he's talking about he's gonna give him a bunch of plane tickets and they're gonna be fighting. So the next match we see is it's a quick squash with Hacksaw Butch Reed. So yeah. So this is also an interesting time for the Crockett WCW era because they pretty much like morphed with the Mid South Wrestling. So that's why we see like that's why we see like Jim Ross on here. That's why we see Butch Reed on here. That's why we see Sting on here. Um, that's why we got like Doctor Death on here. So they they kind of like morphed the territories together. That's why we got a lot of those mid mid south guys. That's, they they called it something different. Point. It was like the uh, they call they didn't call it mid south when they morphed. It was like something else. But they this is the era where they kind of mixed both of those talents together. And I actually thought it was a pretty, you know, you can definitely see the early um, roster of this one coming into the 90s because, you know, we have yeah. like, you know, Dr. Death was on there. You know, the Butch Reed, he would you know, form the tag team with uh, Ron Simmons. Um, you know, we would have Young Sting, you know, break out yep. throughout the 90s. So this is like kind of like the early stages of the uh, WCW Saturday Night Ted Turner taking over era part right here. But he runs with the, yes. uh, like a top rope, like uh, shoulder tackle. Yeah. So something I did not realize, but apparently on February fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine, we have a clash of the champions five days before the uh, Chi Town Rumble, the big show. Yeah. And this one is actually called Saint Valentine's Saint Valentine's Massacre. Yes. I was surprised at that in myself. So I was like, I, you know, I didn't realize they had another wrestling show that had the same gimmick as that one we reviewed on the Lights Out, brother. Check it out in the archives. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure we said it was the only one. Well, we thought. Well, technically, well, we no, 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 no. We weren't wrong, Allison, because that <laughs> one was called Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. This one just oh, called right, Saint Valentine's right. Massacre, brother. But yeah. uh, hint, hint. Maybe we'll do that one next year. Should be funny. Maybe. So after this, we get a uh, <laughs> we get a Lex Luger <laughs> promo. All right, oh, great. And he is basically talking about all his skills. Like this is when we we he's they're really getting into Luger about this, his skills being better. So he's basically saying like he has not lost focus of his of his pursuit of the world champion Ric Flair, but he there's there's other ways Allison and everybody to skin a cat. And one way he's going to do that is he's going to take the U.S. championship belt from Barry Windham. And apparently when you're the U.S. championship belt holder, you are automatically the number one contender to the world title. And that's what his plan is to get back up there. And now he's been... Oh, check this one out. You'll love this one, Austin. He's been watching on his VHR or his (laughs) his VCR tapes of Barry Windham... To counter his holds. Yeah, because he's ready for the lariat, he says. Yeah, he's ready for it, brother. Yeah. I was like, man, he, he got to my heart. Bro, <laughs> I loved my fucking uh, uh, VCR. I was like, damn, I yeah, love he's that. Watching, he's watching his VCR tapes of uh, Barry Wendell. I wonder if we can watch like VCR tapes of The the Fly. You know what I mean? So I could study. I'm sure we could. I could study how not to get vomited on by The Fly. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I, we, we, you know, we probably couldn't see a whole lot because those VHS tapes were, uh, I don't even know if they were 480p, but, uh, but yeah, we could definitely, uh, 
I mean, I have a VCR. I wonder if you, I wonder if you like pause. You know when you pause. You know when you pause on the VCR and there's like those two white lines in there. Like how do you, how does he see that with the Larry? It's like all right, I can kind of see what's going on here. <laughs> anyway, so the next match we have is the weird. You know, so we talked when we done when we do this uh, this uh, Saturday night show. There's always like yeah. this one random match where they just pair up two people together that you're like, why are they even getting paired up? <laughs> so we have uh, check out this team and we talked about this guy last week too this guy's everywhere in the 80s we have michael p.s hayes brother yep it makes sense because he's from atlanta that's so why not be on this show but he's yeah, teaming town usa but he's teaming up with dick murdoch captain redneck like i mean besides them loving, besides them loving the confederate flag i'm not sure where yeah. they're the kind of like two opposite people especially when they're michael kinda- hayes it was like gyrating and shit right in front of Derek's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they kind of are. But like Jim Ross randomly says, uh, "Dick Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch, Reba McIntyre's favorite wrestler." It's like that's such a random ass thing to say. <laughs> so, like he just picked this random country singer and decided that she, he was her favorite wrestler. But yeah, and then he calls him Big Big Dick Murdoch, and everything gets weird after that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, this is not a bad match though. No, no, it's it's good. Anytime, like Michael Hayes is a great wrestler, and he's a very very charismatic and stuff. Dick Murdoch is just one of those bully type of wrestlers on there. So not a, not a bad yeah. bad little squash match. But then, everybody, then we 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 go to earlier this morning. Yeah. Okay. At first, I was like, earlier this morning, like, what, what, what fucking time do we have to get there? All right. <laughs> like, what, what does it happen well, at 8 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> yeah. It, well, it was on earlier. So, this was the show. The morning show was the only wrestling show I could watch because I didn't have cable. Yeah. So, I didn't have TBS. I couldn't watch the 605 Super Show. So, um, so I would watch, I would be able to watch the morning show because it was on syndication, but it was on Saturday mo- or Sunday mornings for me. Um, I believe it might've been on Saturdays. I can't remember. Anyway, it was one of those mornings that I would watch it, but, um, but yeah, so this was the morning show and you could tell they were trying to get people to watch the morning show because of this match. I mean, by the fact that they put this match on the morning show was trying to get people to watch that morning show. So they must've had some ratings issues. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, cause Ro- even Jim Ross says, Oh man, that morning show is heating up. Y'all better watch that. Yeah. And then this match, I could not believe what I was seeing. Me I could not believe. This was on free television in 1989, bro. So we have <laughs> the the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, jacked up, beat up dudes, and their manager yeah. Paul Ellering, which I didn't really realize he would actually wrestled in, and actually was in pretty good shape. Uh, yeah, I knew that he was a wrestler at one point, and he had an injury, and he had to become the Road Warriors manager. But I did not know he was wrestling at this point. Yeah, and tights and everything. And they fought the Varsity Club, uh, a great group. Of yes. uh, uh, Kevin Sullivan, Doctor Dusty Williams, and Bray Wyatt's dad, Mike Rotunda. Mm-hmm. And usually, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna lie. I usually Mike Rotunda matches bore the shit out of me, but my God, he got in there with the Road Warriors. They 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 don't slow down. Holy shit, these guys beating the shit out of each other, a hundred miles an hour, fucking slamming yes. people. Hawk was just like. Bro, there's no faking this. This guy was bumping, he, hitting everybody. He didn't give a fuck. He would, and it, it, I was just so surprised of the gas of the Warrior Wars because they're big, jacked up I dudes. Couldn't believe you, it. Usually, yeah. with, usually with big dudes, like you know, they're not like the fastest motherfuckers in the ring. These no. World Warriors. I mean, this match was probably like a good like 10, 11 minutes or something. 
just constant. Boom, 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 boom. Constant, constant. I was like, fuck, what am I seeing? Like, these guys are great. And they're fucking going at it and shit. Like, fuck. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like, you know, I mean, the road warriors have to be every, every, every bit of 300 pounds, right? Yeah. They have to be. All right. Yeah. Like, fucking 280, 300 pounds. They're huge. Huge. And they're just going, like, just going and going and going and going. I couldn't believe how much gas they had. And then, you know, and, and then the other guys. But yeah, the thing though, you just mentioned, uh, you know, Mike Rotunda being Bray Wyatt's dad. So if you lined all six of those guys up in a row, Mike Rotunda is not the guy you would pick to be Bray Wyatt's dad if you had to pick that. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? He's the most normal looking person in that whole group. <laughs> I know. But um, but yeah, and then we had Dr. Death. Jack. I mean, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. My God. Dr. Death. My so God. Good. This guy was fantastic. I, we, we talked a little about Dr. Death before, you know, in his Japan yeah. career. Which being, you know, that's pretty much where he made a lot of his fame. But this guy was fucking a hoss out there, just fucking yes. beating people up, destroying people's legs, hurting Hawk's arm. They're throwing tables and shit around there. I was like, this is a Saturday morning show? Like, fuck, sign me <laughs> up, brother. This is crazy. And, uh, and Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette, and and uh, Jr. were doing the commentary, yeah. and Cornette was so good. Like, he oh, yeah, was he's so always good been on commentary. Good. Yeah, he was good when and he then- was doing that power show. So. Yes, absolutely was. And then um, uh, one thing I, was, I noticed too about it is they, I don't, maybe this is on pro wrestling tees, I don't know, but there should be on the Steve Williams Doctor Death page, there should be a shirt of those boots that he's wearing. Oh, yeah. Like it just has the skull and crossbones underneath. It just says Death in black. I mean, that's badass. Yeah. Oh yeah. And this guy was is beating everybody up. And we got Kevin Sullivan over there, and he was just a great little. Like heel, and he was yeah. going at it too, man. They're all just rushing it, and you know, you can see Paul Ettering. He's a little bit more of the high flyer of the group and stuff, but they were just going at it. Yeah. So basically, what happened was, um, they throw a hawk outside. No, no, they throw animal outside, animal. and yeah. he starts hurting his arm. Then they grab like a fucking podium and shit. They just throw it out <laughs> his fucking arm, and then hawk. and you can <laughs> see you can see Doctor Death pick up the podium, yeah. and he's like carrying it toward animal, and then. JR goes, there goes our podium. There goes our po- light blue podium that we never use <laughs> is here. Right. And then he smashes it on and he smashes it on animal and yeah. then he beats him up with the with the tag belts and yeah. then they smash animal's arm. Um they hold it out so so Dr. Death can jump on it and yeah. know, try to break his arm and uh yeah. yeah basically- also another good thing Go about this match was how um JR, I believe it was JR, was talking about how when Mike Rotunda was in the ring, like he did, he made Mike Rotunda look powerful. Yeah. He made him seem powerful against Animal. Cause, you know, obviously those two guys, you're going to look at An- Mike Rotunda and say, okay, that guy's going to get his ass kicked. But he makes a good point of like, well, you know, Mike Rotunda is an amateur wrestler. And he's like, I don't care how big and strong you are. He's like, if those amateur wrestling moves can break your arms and legs, and if that happens, you can't beat anybody. Yeah. So he's, he's really good at making making somebody who you wouldn't think would be, you know, be able to stand up to somebody like animal, you know, make him seem like he could. Yeah. And then, um, they were also saying, you know, you could also see the really good amateur style of, uh, like Dr. Death on there too, when he's like riding yeah. all of them and stuff. But eventually they throw like Hawk over the, the top rope. So they get disqualified. They get that gimmick and then they break yes. everything up. <laughs> so basically they beat up animal with a podium and try to break his arm by double teaming him. They double team through the whole match. They beat up animal with the tag team title belts, but then they get disqualified because he went over the top rope. Yeah. All that other stuff was fine. apparently. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, brother, that top rope is dangerous, brother. Coming that's to that too concrete dangerous floor. to throw come somebody on. over the top rope. Yeah, yeah, come on, brother. Yeah. All right. So we we cut to it. Jim Dawes is like, okay, I I regret to do, I I shouldn't do this, but I'm gonna go interview <laughs> these guys right now. <laughs> that was great. So he's like, yeah, I shouldn't do this, but I know I know better than to do this or something like that. So Hawk, you never seen a more pissed off dude. I'm gonna kill those motherfuckers. You know, he's just pissed off. Like I'm pissed to kill you. I'm gonna be glad to kill you. And I was like, you guys better not fuck my arm. You won't fuck my manager either. I'm going to kill you at the pay-per-view. And he says, God damn it, on air. That was yeah. great. <laughs> so then we cut back to the Varsity Club. They're doing a, a promo now. And they're basically mm-hmm. talking about how they uh, beat up the Warriors, uh, the, 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 the road, road Warriors, and uh, how they're pretty much going to dissect them at the pay-per-view. And then you see Kevin Sullivan saying he, he wishes he's going to He's gonna. He, he almost heard animals uh, on snap. He he thinks he heard it, but he's definitely gonna finish the job at the pay per view. And mm. of course, Mike and Rotunda. They're only like ten feet away, but yeah. Yeah. Well, no, like uh, this, they, when they cut back, the the Rogue Wars were gone. This is this is like so that oh, match. Well, that's true. That match right. interview was earlier in the day. This ma- this interview they were. Oh, I forgot. You're live. right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I forgot. Yes. And then um, uh, we are also seeing that the uh, Mike Rotunda wants his belt, his television title back from from Rick Steiner. So then we see Rick Steiner. He now faces Pretty Boy Lloyd, Allison's favorite yes. wrestler, and he yes. wins from a he just wins from a belly to belly suplex. Uh, yes, but but we cannot ignore uh, Alex. Alex. Yes. So this was I didn't know he was doing it this early, but this he was he was doing the Alex gimmick where he talked to his hand. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because he would hold his hand up to the side of his head, and then Jim Ross was like, "I don't know, he's talking to Alex." And then like Alex would like tell him what to do in his head, yeah, or into yeah. his ear, and it was his hand. Yeah, and then of course, yeah, you know, later on, you know, later on, he would hear voices like Chucky. I mean, mm-hmm. it just happens with, with Rick Steiner over the years. So up next, then we get a uh, promo segment from Paul Heyman, and now he's basically saying that he is basically taking everything from Jim Cornette. He's taking like his job. He took his tag team. He took the name of the tag team. He's gonna take. He's stealing all the gimmicks. He's gonna take his job. And then Jim Cornette comes out with his Midnight Express. So I couldn't really tell who's a babyface. Is it Jim Cornette at this time? Is the I'm baby guessing. Face? Yeah. Well, surely with the things that. Uh, well, <laughs> I was gonna say with the things that Paul Heyman's saying, he's got to be the heel. But then again, Cornette's talking about him trying to have a reverse sex change. Yes. But I guess that was face stuff at the time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so Paul Heyman was masterful in this. Like the reason this, what we saw on this show today, yeah, was the reason that Paul Heyman is doing what he's doing now. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Because you know, if if anybody wonders why Paul Heyman is coming out with with Roman Reigns in the Bloodline, because he he's better on the mic than nearly anyone that's ever done it. Yeah, and you can he's see it. So good, you can see it. Like he's, he's been, so good. He's been doing this stuff since the '80s, and he's still rocking it today. So it's pretty, uh, and pretty impressive, yep. and pretty amazing. So now we get the main event of this Crockett episode. We got the Midnight Express, Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. The the mm. Midnight Express with Jim Cornette versus one of the most devastating tag teams of all time, <laughs> brother. The Cruel Connection. One and two. <laughs> what the fuck? They is look this? like they're uh, um, mo- mocap, mo- motion capture. Like they're making a motion capture yeah. movie with their green. Yeah, it's like they're doing like video game stuff with the little. Yeah, they're yeah. all like green outfits and shit on. <laughs> the best part of this is when Jim Cornette's like, 
After we, after uh, the Midnighters get done f- beating up Froggy 1 and Froggy 2, they'll come at the Frog 1 and 2. We're going to get out of here and beat up the other Midnight Express. And I was like, so basically the Midnight Express wins and it's just a squash. But I was like, who the fuck? Who the fuck? Why? The well, who? Why? Why do we have the cruel connection why? on here? Okay. Why? Because we have to have jobbers from the Naveed. But uh, the funniest thing about all that <clears throat> was when Jim Cornette was talking about Paul Heyman taking his job. And he said, I didn't know I had a job washing dishes at Denny's. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sound like a job you could have got. So, but good, good episode, everybody. I hope you can all check it out. Yeah. So, um, we'll, we'll try to do some more of those, like when we actually like watch the wrestling show, because uh, it's it's funny when it's 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 a little easier to do the review of the wrestling part when we can actually see it uh, mm-hmm. live and everything. So, but let's get on to the metal music, Allison. What do you got for us around 1989 or February? What are we gonna be rocking out to? Um, well, I was gonna let you talk about your album first, actually, and then oh, okay. I was gonna bring mine up because mine's shorter. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So my mind might be a little short too. I never heard this band before, but when I was doing my okay. research, brother, for the Retro Blood, they're actually a pretty fun band. And this was their debut album at the time. And this band, I don't know if you know them before, but they're called Acid Rain. Not real familiar, no. Okay, so they're a thrash band. All right. Uh-oh. And the album that we're going to talk about is called The Fear. All right, and they're pretty good. Okay. Like there ain't no like Slayer or nothing, but they have a light, really good rhythm to them, all right? And I would say they are, um, how can I, they're, they're kind of like, they don't have like the, the ruggy voice. He kind of just has that like normal kind of like creator slasher voice. But they have some good mm-hmm. guitar right. riffs and solos and everything. And this is definitely a, uh, a band that I would definitely recommend everybody checking out. Um, the album is about 14 songs. Well, if you find it on Apple Music, it is. We have a couple live um, songs on there but right. we have such great tracks as as reflection of truth mm-hmm. that's the one i listen to insane we have humanoid the fear blind aggression life informs all i see so not 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 a not a, not a uh, uh uh too crazy of a band um definitely a fun one um you know just I'm not, there's like, like there's like different kind of levels of thrash, I would say. Yes, but these guys would be these thrash. guys would be like more like on the um the Exodus side, I guess, of the thrash. So sure. maybe maybe sure. they have a little bit more of that California um style with them. Yeah. But, but uh let's see. But the Acid Rain everybody, I would definitely check them out. I mean, they are pretty cool. We'll probably play a little bit of them at the end of the show. But this is sure. their debut album, and uh, like I said, you know, pretty pretty fun uh, style of thrash. Yeah, so that's going to be a band that I have to check out because one thing I like about this show is introducing people and and each other to new bands that we haven't heard before. So this is a band that I haven't heard before, and now I get to check it out because I love. I mean, everybody that listens to the show for a long time knows that nineteen mid eighties to late eighties, early nineties thrash metal is like my thing like yeah. i i mean i i love it um and speaking of that on february 7th so th- this is a weird month because when i watched this wrestling show <clears throat> and they were ta- that we just watched and we were taught they were talking about how the next night they were going to be in charlotte at the new coliseum like that brought back memories for me like i remember when that was built i remember when the charlotte hornets got here 
I remember talking to my cousins about what colors the team was going to be. And so this is going to be, this was WCW's debut in the new Coliseum. But also this month, this album came out that I specifically remember getting and specifically remember listening to when I was in middle school uh, or whatever grade I was in at the time um, was Metal Church's Blessing in Disguise. And we've talked about Metal Church before, but we talked about the dark. But this is the Metal Church that I know with Mike Howe singing, uh, the late, great Mike Howe, who passed away last summer. Um, but um, it was produced by Terry Dates with an early Terry Date recording. He would go on to record a bunch of metal bands in the 90s. Um, but yeah, so they're, at least their Metal Church released her album Blessing in Disguise with, with uh, tracks like uh, Fake Healer and Rest in Pieces. Um, this is a really, really good thrash metal album if you haven't heard it. Um, maybe we'll put some on the the Facebook page so people can hear it. Um, th- but yeah, this was uh, this was very uh, what would we say a very seminal moment in my life of like me discovering thrash when I was starting to discover thrash metal and like you know like in the last like you know two or three years or whatever I'd really gotten into thrash metal and uh, this Metal Church album came out and I spe- specifically remember going to the tape store what I called the tape store and getting it because you couldn't get stuff like that at roses which is where i normally would buy my tapes but um i remember having my dad take me to the tape store so i can buy the metal church record nice on tape metal church um, man you can't beat them they're like no nah, yeah they're great and un, 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 they're an un was underrated band i would say from the uh from this era and then finally this is real quick i just want to mention this but because we'll never get a chance to probably talk about this band in any other way. But that month in 1989, the famous Canadian tech death band Goreguts released their first demo. They formed that year, or they'd formed the year before, and they were put out a demo in 1989. They'd get signed and put out their first album in 1991. But yeah, I, just wanted, to, I wanted to mention the great Goreguts because they're a fantastic band, death metal band. And uh, this was this, they also got their start this month. So this was a big month. We got the Fly Two. We got Metal Church. Uh, Gore Gut started. Who knows? Maybe they want to see the Fly Two as well. And we got some great wrestling. Yeah, so we're doing we're doing pretty fun over here. Yeah, on yeah, it's the not uh, Valentine's Day yet. Yeah, I know. We're getting close, brother. So, mm-hmm. but everybody, we got some great music. We got some great pro wrestling to watch. Now let's get into. The, uh, the the experiments. Let's get into the to the meat of everything. Let's get into the who booked this shit with the who, fly yeah, two. Please. <laughs> who booked this shit? Who booked this shit, brother? So the fly two was released February tenth, nineteen eighty nine, and the the director was actually the director who worked on the fly one of uh, of uh, Chris Wales. Well, he's like one of the people who worked on the fly. I wouldn't say the director. But he worked on the fly. Has the um, he did the uh, creature effects on the fly mm-hmm. one, and he actually uh, he is the effects designer and creator on the the fly two. But this uh, this Chris Wallace, he actually done a, a pretty good amount of, um, of movies, especially when it comes to the uh, special effects and, and creating. And I didn't realize it, but he actually uh, was a creative consultant on the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I was about to say he. Yeah, he worked on uh, he worked on some of the creatures in Return of the Jedi. He also worked on ET. Yep. Um, he worked on he. He's actually worked on a lot of movies. He did um, Humanoids from the Deep. Yes. Which is uh, well, a movie we will we will ultimately do on the show. Uh, but yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he created Gremlins. the Gremlins. Gremlins. Yes. Yep. So yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, he is definitely talented. 
Um, so don't when you watch this movie, don't hold it against him. Yes, because this guy had a lot of talent. So with this one, the production was so basically <clears throat> there was a uh, some interesting facts over here <laughs> about the movie. So the the girl who played Ronnie on the original movie. Gina Davis, Gina Davis, she decided not to be in, in this one. And you obviously yeah. you can see when uh, the opening scene where we see the Ronnie character was like, I, even though they had a mask on her and stuff, you can obviously tell it wasn't uh, Gina Davis. It was played by uh, uh, Saffron Henderson. Um, yep. So Davis, apparently she refused to pr- replace her role because of uh, basically not having any story because she got killed off in the first act. So she's like, if I want to come back here, I want to be part of the story. I want to I want to make sure my character... Sounds like a pro wrestler over here. I want to make sure my character is protected, brother. If you don't got a story over here, I ain't coming to work, brother. So, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so- I, I mostly... No, I was going to say, I mostly know Saffron Henderson as being a voice actress. Yes. Um, For dubbed anime, mostly. Like she was, she worked on Dragon Ball Z and... I think she played Gohan oh, nice. at one point. Um, I don't know how. That's weird that things stick in my mind. But, yeah, she yeah. was, like, one of the original voices for Gohan. Um, but, yeah, but she's playing the uh, uh, the mother of our uh, hero in this movie. Yeah, so for, like, a second. <laughs> for a second, yeah. So when I read this, I could not believe this at all. And, <laughs> oh, what, oh, what could have been if this would have happened? What could have been? Apparently... Mm-hmm. They gave the they gave the script to play Martin Brundle to the one and only Keanu Reeves, <laughs> and he fucking turned that shit down, brother. And I was like, "Oh, what could have well, been, brother?" <laughs> like, oh my god! I don't, I don't. Uh, I mean, I don't blame him. I don't if I ever met Keanu Reeves, though, that would be the question I don't want to ask him about. Like, why did you turn down the fly to? Yeah, or uh, said he disliked or what he it. remembered about it. Oh, yeah, no shit. That would be a but, funny. That'd anyway. be a funny. Like, bro, why? Why? <laughs> why couldn't you have done this for me, please? All right. Like, I can just see him like uh, in certain parts of this movie, like doing his like whoa thing, even though he didn't really do it then. I don't <laughs> think, but you know, where he's like whoa, whoa, brother. <laughs> so yeah, also, also another band. failed audition role was uh, Josh Bar- Josh Barlin. He was, Josh Berlin, he was passed yeah. after a failed audition role. Imagine failing that role. Yep. Yeah. yeah I mean, you weren't he, uh, uh, dodged a bullet. Yeah, you weren't nerdy enough. I guess not. Right. So the, the guy who ended up getting the role, <clears throat> which mm-hmm. I didn't realize this when I was reading about this guy, it's Eric uh, Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, and yes. I didn't realize that this guy, Marty McFly. Oh, okay, that makes more and sense. And Back in the Future. My bad, <laughs> sorry. So, <laughs> Salt was originally cast as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. But apparently, his views of Marty McFly clashed with the director, Robert. And right. apparently, so, you know, this, I guess, you know, Robert, the guy who made Back to the Future, was trying to make it more like a yeah. sci fi comedy. Yes. Which obviously, that was the right move to do because it's one of like the highest rated movies of all time. But our boy right. Schultz over here, he had a, he read the script. And he wanted to do a more serious angle. Apparently focusing on the tragic consequences of going back to a life, to live a life that was not one of his own. So apparently five weeks into shooting, uh, the robber, he replaced Schultz with Michael J. Fox. So, wow, okay. I mean, brother, sometimes you, you, <laughs> you, got, you died on the wrong hill there. <laughs> 
Okay, so you went for fucking making you could have been Mario the McFly in Back to the Future, all right? But no, I think that this is they made that movie before they made um, the Fly too. But well, they made uh, the Fly too, yes. Was there boy? But apparently he he was in Pulp Fiction, and I'm not yeah, sure what character he, was, he, he played. played the oh, he played the heroin dealer. Oh, okay, gotcha. So in Pulp Fiction, when uh, when he uh, he's the heroin dealer that John Travolta's character goes to buy the heroin from, and yeah. then when Uma Thurman overdoses on it, he's the one that's calling him on his cell phone, his nineteen ninety four cell phone, to his uh, Derek Stoltz's house, and he's like, and he's like, no, he's like, don't bring some drugged up bitch to my house. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So you know he's done stuff before, but brother, you kind of well things work out. You know, Michael J. Fox, that's like one of his, the role that he was pretty much most known for on his whole career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And uh, Eric Stoltz was also a big deal, not a big deal, but he was a, he was a pretty big actor at this time. He was in mask and he made a few other 1980s movies. That, so he was not like an unknown actor by any yeah. means. Um, so, you know, that's uh, things worked out for him, I think too. So apparently also too, we have who, who worked on some of the visual effects, of this, and mm-hmm. you could, I, you know, they did have really good slimy visual effects. Apparently, one of uh, our boy Tom uh, Savini Sullivan, Sullivan, no, Tom yeah. Sullivan, yeah, Tom from Sullivan, the Evil Dead. yeah, Tom Sullivan from the Evil Dead. He worked on the uh, the sculptures for the film's visual effects. So, um, <clears throat> before we get into a couple things, I want to read uh, the New York Times gave the film the negative review, right? The only respect. In which it matches Mr. Cronenberg's fly is in its sheer repulsiveness, since the film <laughs> denigrates into a serious slime-ridden, gloppy, oozing special effects in its final hour. Richard Harrington from the Washington Post <laughs> offered a, fi- uh, a film similar cri- uh, criticism, calling the film script flat. All right, and criticized the film's special effects as being clumsy. So yeah. Uh, speaking of one thing, just, I do want to. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say it's just it's it's better than it could have been, but yeah. it's just one of those things that shouldn't have been made, in my opinion. Like it's just like the fly was perfect the way it was. We don't need a sequel to the fly. Well, maybe if we had a book, you know, right? If we had a book, of course, but we don't. So there's one thing I want to add before we get into the whole review, and I yeah. uh, I was gonna bring this up during our wrestling review, but uh, we were too busy talking about beefy men slapping meat so i I want (laughs) we got distracted but i i have to i don't think we're ever i'm ever going to bring this up again but i think it's just really fascinating so actually on the release date when the fly 2 came out okay we do have Mm -hmm. a new york times article that came out Uh on february 10th 1989 and basically this article reveals that wrestling is not real brother no, no way. So th- this, okay. So the reason this came out is because the Vince McMahon, the WWF chairholder, he wanted mm. to get the um, pro wrestling de-delegated, yes, in New Jersey, right. right? So he can run shows. So basically, he was uh, trying to transfer of. Of, of wrestling not being a competitive sport to being more like a live entertainment show. So so we right. can get all those uh, regulations off pro wrestling. And the New York Times ran with this and was basically revealing to what 
most hardcore fans probably knew, you know, like, okay, we kind of knew this already, Maybe. but a lot, you know, obviously this is like the, uh, a big no, no back in the day, you know, doing yes. this, like, yes. you know, especially with like, uh, territories like Crockett or, you know, more of the serious ones over here. So it's actually a pretty big news story going on over here of like, you know, coming out, um, you know, this happening, but to be honest with you, it didn't really hurt a lot of business. So let me just uh, read this article really quick. So yeah. it says it w- probably didn't hurt business. I was gonna say it probably didn't hurt business because most wrestling fans probably don't read the New York Times. Yes. So WF comes clean. At the time, the World Wrestling Federation and CEO Vince McMahon were committed to presenting the company's product as a genuine wrestling com- competition rather than a scripted show for audiences. However, an article published by the New York Times on February 10th. 1989 revealed that a spokesperson for the WF had testified to New Jersey State Senate that professional wrestling was merely an expedition, brother. The testimony came came as part of WF's push to get pro wrestling degraded in New Jersey. The headline the headline angered many wrestling industry in, in, insiders who fought hard yeah. to maintain the illusion of wrestling as a true competitive sport. However, the fans certainly didn't care. Yeah, um, is this because of the um, performance enhancing stuff that was? Um, so I think, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, there was um, in in New Jersey, pro athletes had to be drug tested. Yes, and then the reason they couldn't have shows in New Jersey was because the wrestlers would be drug tested, and they would find out that they're all hyped up on steroids. Yeah. And um, yeah. it was that, and then there were certain things they couldn't do. Like, when you have, like, a, a regulated state, you would have to get um, licensed for everybody there, too. Mm. And I think right. it, they also had limitations on, like, blood and stuff. So you yes, couldn't be... Yeah, I was be, thinking that, too. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, obviously, drug testing was the biggest thing, because, you know, they do that in sports and stuff. But they also had some little things like that, like where you had to get each person licensed to be in there. You had a license. You basically had to pay the state a lot more money to run your show there. And Vince man, you know how he, he's like, no, nah, I don't want to pay this shit. You know? Yeah. So, so I'm going to tell you that wrestling's fake, but don't tell anybody. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. So it was just a way to get to get into those markets that were big markets for wrestling, but they didn't have to do the the extra cost of getting in there, like, you know, hiring more medical staff, hiring uh, a, like 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 judges hiring state athletic mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, health care, uh, state athletic referees, they, you know stuff. All the stuff they had to do for regulated sports, he was trying to get away from that. And of course, you know, drug testing was part of it too. So, but you know, if you ask them, like the drug testing, you know, all the guys are fine. Okay, it's it's the it's the extra uh, uh, payments that we had to do the states. That's why we want to get that away. So. But enough about all this backstage stuff and all this fun stuff that's going on around. There's a lot of stuff going around this time. So, you know, we we have a lot going on around this February of 1989. A whole lot of stuff. But everybody, mm-hmm. I say we get into the full review of The Fly, too. Yeah, let's do it. Listen. Do you hear it? It's getting closer. Much closer. Don't be afraid. Be very, very afraid. You could finish your father's work. You're as brilliant as he was. 
Something odd is happening to me, and I don't know what it is. I'm getting worse. I'm getting better. The Fly 2. Like father, like son. All right, so we start up, all right, and we see, you know, a little normal intro, Fly 2, but we start off kind of hot with uh, the character known as Ronnie, Veronica, being rushed into uh, the laboratory to give birth to Brendel Baby, all right, but we also see that we have Bartok, or Bar- what was the company called, Bartok? Bartok. Yeah. That, so I kind of mm-hmm. like how they did this 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 company. So you know, and in, in our in review of the fly number one, it was briefly mentioned that the company that was funding Seth Brundle's experiments was Bartok, and he was just saying like it just just in passing. It's like yeah, you know, they don't really keep a, an eye on me because I'm so low cost, but you know, obviously anything I made they'll own. So they actually. They in this sequel they made the the Bartoks obviously after the Brendel stuff happened they they seized all of his equipment and they became the heel company, brother. Yes. Uh, so which? Go ahead. I was gonna say so yeah I mean they became the heel company but we kind of felt like from the got a feeling from the first movie they were kind of heels all along. Well, they didn't do anything in the first movie. No, they didn't, but I, I don't know. I just kind of got the feeling that they're like, like they were kind of uh, Seth Brundle was trying to change the world and they were like trying to use his inventions for some kind of evil means. But maybe that's just backstory that I wrote in my head. Maybe you read the book. All right. <laughs> you're never going to you're never going to give it up. Are you? Maybe you should read a book every once in a while. We should do a T-shirt saying saying I read the book. I just put your name, Allison, on there. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be the top seller of all of our shirts. Yeah, that we don't have yet. We don't have shirts. <laughs> just, just imagine like there's not even a book about it, but you've read the book on it, so it's okay. <laughs> so we see yeah, the uh, not even yeah. Go ahead, go yes, let's go. <laughs> so we see Stannis, uh, the Bar- Barnes or whatever, you know that news reporter Dick that was on the Fly One. He's in this movie for a quick second, saying like, he's like freaking out, saying, "I told you this was gonna happen. I should have got that baby out of her and shit." Yeah, right. and then so basically, you know, she's basically going to. I don't know if this is emergency labor. So obviously, in this movie, she's she kept the baby. Okay, uh, so yeah. she is they're going to labor, and she's basically saying. So we have like the uh, the 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 main the man behind the company, Anton Burdock. He is mm-hmm. there. He's like one of those rich looking old white dudes, looking on. It's very sinister. So we can tell he's going to be the heel in our story. And Ronnie is screaming like you. You said this wouldn't happen, and I'm just thinking, well, what the fuck was gonna happen? They're <laughs> <laughs> like, what did they expect? Like, you kind of already knew this is. We kind of already established from the first movie that this is probably going to happen if you keep the baby. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I don't know what she was thinking. So she eventually has a baby. It's a. It's like a baby. Con- Do flies have cocoons? It, no. Well, no, they don't have cocoons, but. So flies lay eggs, and then those eggs hatch out into maggots. 
Okay. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's like a, it's like a maggot, but it's not, a, it wasn't, it's like a sack. Yeah. It's like a cocoon like a sack. Larval sack. Like a cocoon. Yeah. And then the baby comes <laughs> out of it. Then we have the Brendel baby. And of course, Ronnie dies and it's a boy. So, <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the bar tech, they're like the heel, the heel group. All right. So mm-hmm. now, so now the, the, the main, after we get the whole birth and we get the whole intro, Fly 2 is here and everything, we see the Anton Bardock, he's in like his like group meeting with all his employers and stuff, or his employees, employees I would say. And he's basically saying, okay, listen guys, this Jane Way, she's going to be the second in command, but I, you know, so you all, you all answer to her. And then he's all like, but she answers to me. And I only answer to God. So when I say the word, God is saying the word. I'm like, fuck, bro. <laughs> so I better get a 401k for this. <laughs> <laughs> so then Anton, he goes and talks to Jane Wade. That's like the, the I called her the, 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 doc, the doctor girl, Jane Wade. Mm-hmm. They're going over there talking a little bit about the accelerated growth of, of um, Brendel Baby, which his name is Marty. Mm-hmm. And he is, uh, he's growing at an accelerated rate. So they showed him like, I think it was like three years old, but he looks like 11 year old basically. And they're just talking about, you know, the, apparently the, the gene that makes him a mutant non horny sex fly in this movie is dormant right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and they're saying like, you know, the, the, it's keeping dormant right now. But they're gonna monitor his 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 growth, and then Bardock asks, like, okay, how do you like him? And she's like, I love him as a specimen. So I guess we're seeing that this Jane Way is like kind of like iffy on this whole uh, human experiment, Marty guy. So now Bardock wants to go actually go meet with Marty. So he meets with him, and he's basically saying stuff about a magic trick. That will be our theme throughout the whole movie, this magic shit. Mm-hmm. And he basically wants him to keep a secret and think of him as a dad. And apparently also, too, the the Marty kid, he doesn't sleep any. Like, he's, like, always awake at all. At all. Yeah. So, Which is weird because he has a bed, but... Yes. Well, you know, just in case he's thinking about sleeping. <laughs> right. <laughs> it looks good. I mean, it in does come in handy a little later, but you know. Yeah. And then we see them so so right when I saw this, I was like, okay, there's no way that Stranger Things got their gimmick from the fly too because the There's no way. The setup looked exactly like or very close similar to the uh the hospital that Eleven was in and everything with them looking through mm-hmm. the glass, you know, having the special kid that they're looking over. For experimental purposes, you have a corporation that wants to take over the world. I'm like, okay, okay, wait a minute here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I hate to break it to you and the people out there, and I'm I hate I normally hate this guy, but I'm gonna kind of be this guy a little bit, and I don't mean it in a negative way because I love Stranger Things, but Stranger Things got all their ideas from a bunch of different places. None oh, yeah, of those definitely. ideas are original, and they're all ripped off from other things we could do a whole show on everything that they ripped off from elf and lied to the montauk project to the fly Two. yeah i mean yeah i mean none of this shit is original but 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 in their defense i think that's what they were going for so 
Exactly. They they did that on purpose. Yes. So now we cut. Now now Marty is older now. So he's not three anymore. He's like five years old or ten years old right now. And he's like mm-hmm. looking. Uh, so apparently he's like super smart too. Like he he not only when he grows older, he also grows like smarter and wiser. Smarter. Mm-hmm. So now we're seeing uh, the other doctor, Norman. This guy, he's just not liking his job. Okay, he's just like, all right, listen, I don't want to be here right now. All right, let's do something that we both want to do. Can you just finish this fucking puzzle? <laughs> all right, and then Marty's like, yeah, I'll finish this shit. It's all right. So he finishes the puzzle. Obviously, Marty, he gets the puzzle easy. And he's like, okay, you can put on that stupid helmet. So now he puts on his stupid helmet. All right. It's like a little, you know, little kid helmet. It was kind of like a Transformer style helmet. It's like, yeah, it's like, and the Norman's like, oh, I see you modified it. What else does it do? And he squirts water in his face. So we're seeing that Mari doesn't really get along with the, the doctors too much. So now <laughs> this part's weird. So Janeway, the, the, the doctor that you think is going to be like, maybe hates him at first, but then grows to love him. No, she's just a bitch the whole time. She tries to put yep. a fucking needle into them. He's like, stop fidgeting. Stop fucking fidgeting. All right, and then Mars like, hey, I want to go see, um, I'm gonna go see my dad, uh, Bardock, or Bartok. And he's like, well, no, you don't have level four clearance. He's like, well, why not? He's like, because you only have level three. He's like, well, can I get level four? <laughs> like, no, you can't have level four clearance. Nope. So then he sees that Norman does, and since since Martin has a photographic memory, all right, like me, like you, yeah, yeah. yes. He makes him have level four clearance. He just puts it on his badge. All right. Kind of reminds me of myself. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's the first thing I would think of when I think of you. <laughs> so now we have, uh, so now, of course, there's a guard. There's always like a guard sleeping and all these, like, this must be the most boring job to be like, okay, <laughs> well, I got to. Well, it probably is. A security guard would be a boring <laughs> job in most cases. So this guy, he was reading some sort of shape book. <laughs> Or something. Maybe he's bored of the book. Yeah. He didn't like his book, brother. Right? So Marty, like, sneaks with his little helmet on through the vents. And he sees some a bunch of flies in, like, a box. And, of course, the flies are, like... We don't actually... It's kind of weird. Like, so we had, like, hint of maybe, like, the flies working or, or having some sort of emotional <laughs> connection with Marty. But not really. Like, they're just around. Yeah. They don't, they don't really... There's really nothing to do with flies in this other yeah. than what we're seeing right now. And at the very end, there's really nothing to do with flies or in, in this movie at all. Yeah. So now, um, so he's a. Uh, <laughs> so now Martin, he goes into like this pet lab, all right, where they just have a bunch of pets around everywhere, and he finds a dog, and he likes this dog out, and now he's start now he's starting to give us some uh, backstory on himself. Okay. All right. He's like, okay, he's like, hey, dog, uh, you know, only two people have my disease. All right. He's like, it's only me and my dad. He's like, yeah. he's like, dog, do you know what you call this disease? And I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's going to be like, okay, we have a bunch of diseases out there. You know what I mean? We have like, you know, we have the COVID disease, you know, we, we have like the, the uh, right. uh, measles, yeah. you know, very, very short, yeah. you know, like, you know, easy to recognize disease. You know what this fucking disease is called, everybody? Okay. So this guy has the, yeah, he's like, yeah, this is so special. Only two people had this name. You know what they named it? <laughs> they named it the fucking Brendel, uh, 
It's like it's like the Brendo Glan Growth Serum. Right. It's like the Brendo Extended Glan Growth Serum. I was like, say that ten times fast. <laughs> so I could kind of I could kind of excuse this. Like I thought this was silly, yeah. but I could excuse it in a way because you got to consider that like before where you said that Mar- Marty is growing up smarter and wiser. He's not growing wiser. He is getting smarter. Like he's he's becoming like a super genius, mm-hmm. but he doesn't understand how the world works at all, which is what what I would consider wisdom. So he's fooled easily by these people because he spent his whole life in this like research facility like Eleven did. But um they're also trying to trick him. So this is the, you know, this is the uh, gimmick, right? This is the angle they came up with to convince Marty that he has a disease. Yes. And then they gave it this ridiculous name and he believed them because he's never experienced anything else in the world. That's why he's talking to a dog. Yeah. So now it's the next day. He sneaks out again and he tries to, um, tries to go out and feed the dog. So before he does that, he sneaks the food that they gave him. Like his, uh, was it liver and fucking fries? He fucking sneaks out to the dog. Guard sleeping again. He goes to feed the dog. Dog's not there. The dog is now in laboratory 17. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I'll just go there. So Martin sneaks into the laboratory 17. And in laboratory 17, we have now gotten back our telepods from the first movie. They are are back here, brother. But there's only two telepods. Where was the third one? Maybe, uh, well, it got destroyed. Remember, it got uh, integrated inside Brundlefly. Oh, yes, that's right. So we're in this 1980s lab. lab labs always look really cool in the 80s. I was like the... Uh, yeah, they the did. Rhythm. So now they're going to bring the dog in the tube. I'm like, in, oh boy, here we pod. go. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So how you make a heel. That's it, yes. I say, yes, we're doing a heel tactic. So they're putting there, they're, they're doing an experiment on here. And they do the experiment. Um, it's a very slow process, but this one you can see that Martin was trying to, you know, talk to the dog or like, you know, let the dog know his presence were there. Yeah. They teleport the dog to the other pod. Dog comes out. Doctor, one of the dogs is like, oh yeah, the, the, it's back alive. We did it and everything. And the dog comes in there like a mutant dog and bites his finger off. <laughs> Martin freaks out. Yeah. Jane Way is like, oh fuck, how did he get in here? And then they take the they pick a boy away, and then they uh, they lock up the dog. So now, so now, uh, uh, Martin is now five years old, but he looks like he's eighteen or at least twenty. Yes. So he's growing mm-hmm. up quick, brother. So technically, he is five years old, but he looks like he's a man now. So there, they blow out the candles. And J- Janeway is so happy to be with Marty and be celebrating his fifth ba- birthday. She's acting like she likes to, you know, be around him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bardock's like, "Hey, you know, what did what did you wish for?" He's like, "I know what you wish for. You 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 wish for your privacy, didn't you?" And he gives him a champagne uh, champagne bottle and he throws yeah. it against the glass of that whole glass that had the two way mirror because they've been studying him the whole time. Yeah. So then Bardock brings him to his own luxury apartment. And Martin's all super happy. He's like, hey, you know, this is all your place now. I want you to have your privacy. You know, I want you to, uh, I basically want you to come 
work for me. I want you to be an employee of mine at the Bar Talks because your genius mind, we need your help with that genius mind. Will, will, will you join me in this journey to be a Come to, to the dark doctor. side. Yes. Yes. Because we need your help. Because you're, you know, he said like, you know, basically you'd be bored. So we're going to give you a job over here. Right. And the job that they're pretty much going to make him do is like, hey, you know, we can't figure out these telepods. But, you know, your dad worked on them and you're super smart. You know, I'm basically giving you the task of trying to work on these telepods to get them to work. Because every time that we do it, the only thing that we've created is the world's, uh, was it, was it the world's <laughs> best like goo machine? Because <laughs> every time yeah. we would transfer something, it would turn into goo or mush. We just can't figure it out. But I mean, we know you can. And he's all like, "Hey, you know, you can, you can take, um, you can take um, uh, one of our uh, uh, employees' staff, or you can work alone. You know, whichever one you want to do." All right. And he's like. He's kind of like, hey, you know, just think about it. Because, you know, Martin said kind of like, I don't know if I want to work on this thing. He's like, okay, you know what? Like, maybe just work on it. But here, here's some tapes of your dad. You know, check it out. See what your dad would say. Because the reason Marty doesn't want to work on it, because he got traumatized when the dog went through. You know what I mean? Because it's only been like, what, like maybe like two years since the, or a year or two since the dog went through. Yeah, because he's growing so quick, right? Yes. He was so he was like three years old when he when this happened, and he looked like a ten year old. Yes. So you know, it's only so this is only like a couple years later, I guess. Yes. And you know, and Bar- Bartok is also saying like you know that dog, you know, it didn't suffer any, you know. But let's 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 check out your dad's records, all right? And let's let's see what he would have said. So now he puts in the videotape. Uh, remember all those videotapes that they took in the first movie? He's watching some of them now. Yep. The early ones, mm-hmm. at least. So he's listening to his father, Seth Brindle, and I ha- when I I gotta say what I was thinking because you know that's what we do in a review show. I guess this guy Marty takes more after his mom's side because he did not look anything like Jeff Goldblum. Okay. No, no, he also doesn't look like Gina Davis either. Exactly. But, hey, you know, maybe he maybe maybe the fly gene spliced him to look more like a normal. White, blue collar guy. I have no idea. Yeah, with with red hair. With, with yes, and uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's like a regressive gene. Maybe her grandfather had red hairs. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, so Seth's so talking on this tape, saying like, you know, when I when I went through the pod, it felt like my life was disturbed for a minute, and then it came back to me. But I'm feeling great. Like I feel like I'm a whole new man. You know, I'm feeling like uh, I've been corrected. You know, I'm just you know I'm feeling like a like a better than I than I was before. And so Martin's watching this, like, oh okay, this motherfucker said he was good. Everything's all good. I'm not gonna watch the crazier tapes yet. They they only basically gave him the uh, the beginning tapes to Seth Brundle's uh, experiment. They probably forgot to give him yeah. the uh, <laughs> the crazy transformation <laughs> ones. <laughs> yeah, they they conveniently forgot to yeah. give him the parts where he's like, where his skin and teeth are falling out and he's yeah. like, ears are falling off and shit. Yeah, they forgot to give him that part. Yeah, so Martin... Oh, yeah, this thing we forgot to tell you. <laughs> so Martin now, he starts working on the telepod by <laughs> himself. So I guess he uh, agreed to work on it by himself and he transfers over yeah. a telephone and it works. And then, he, and then he... Yep, it's working, brother. But from the but because we watched the first movie, yeah. we know that's not the problem, right? No. Well, which is weird too because they didn't really bring up like the whole flesh thing. 
Maybe that was just no. a Cronenberg thing, well, where he's like, you know, no, talks about flesh. It's all the because time. they that it's because they didn't know that. Yeah, that's right. True. They that's why they didn't bring that up. That's the that's the thing they're missing is they don't realize that flesh is the problem. Yes. So so uh, Marty calls up. He he needs some organic matter, and the girl's like, "Why well, we didn't got any of that? She got to wait till eight a.m." He's like, "Fuck that." <laughs> mm. So now he's wandering the, the the laboratory to try to find some mm. organic manner. This is when we meet the fucking guard. All right. Yes. What's his name? Scorby, the fucking Scorby, asshole like guard. Scorby, yeah. He's like, mm. hey, isn't that that fucking uh, that Brendel kid? They're like, yeah. He walks around like he owns the place. He's like, oh, he'll get his. And he's like checking out his <laughs> zapper. <laughs> I was like, okay. Zapper. So, or like, you know, stun gun, his little stun gun, brother. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so now Marty, he, he goes into like a, a tape room and he sees like a little fly like on his tape and his fly is like on a, a pole, like a fishing pole pole. And he catches the fly. And then this is when he, he sees a girl like basically doing fishing. She's like, hey, have you ever seen fly fishing? Ha 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 ha. Ha ha ha. What a joke. So this is when we meet our character. Beth Logan. Played by Daphne Zuniga. Yes. Who she ever beat? She's she beat a lot of people. She was actually on a really hot run of movies at this point. She was in the dorm that dripped blood. She was in the initiation, which is a movie that we'll do sometime probably this year. I have oh, yeah. a feeling. Uh she was in the sure thing with John Cusack. She was in Last Rites. She okay. made a bunch of really good movies right in a row here. Yeah, she was good too. This is not one of them, but she made a bunch of good movies. Well, in she a row. was good in the Rome. She played the She was uh, good in this, yes. She, she was played great. the uh the, what do you call it? The heroine, pretty good. The heroine. Yeah, she was great in this. She's great in everything. So she's she's basically talking to Mari saying like, yeah, you know, after they meet for a second, they start having lunch or dinner together. She's like, yeah, they put, so basically she, she she's from like medical school or science school. Mm-hmm. And she, she, science school. she came to bar talk to, to get and further her career or get her career started. But the, all they're doing is keeping her on the night shift and uh, doing files. Yeah. For the night shifts. And she's like, well, fuck, I didn't come here to do a bunch of files and shit. I wanted to, you know, accelerate my career and shit over here. And then, of course, Marty, like his dad's like, hey, you want to see something that's like uh, going to change the world? I'm like, is this like a Brundle <laughs> pickup line? Like, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He says almost he says exactly the same thing yeah. to her as as his dad said to his yeah. mom. Yeah, I want to see something world so and she's also trying to get some shit out of him too it's like yeah yeah and you know mari says hey, he doesn't sleep at night and she just thinks like oh yeah when i was a student i didn't sleep at night either so they're you know you can see that they're kind of getting along and then his line was like hey you want to mo- see the most important machine of mankind and she's like oh boy here we go he's like come to my <laughs> lab so basically doing exactly like his dad did yeah yeah and then she's all like well you know i gotta give you points for being original and he's like Oh, you don't believe me? <laughs> Just like his dad. And he's and she's like, no, I don't believe you, but you know, I'll come anyway. So he and she's like, okay, we're going to lab seventeen. Oh, I got clearance. He's like, I got clearance. <laughs> oh, okay. So he shows her the telepods. Okay, which I don't think they they even said. Did they call them telepods or no? Or they just call them? I don't, I don't think they call them anything. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm calling them telepods. Yeah. But anyway, but that's what we heard from the first movie. They're telepods. They are. They're telepods. And she's, you know, can't believe what she's seeing over here. And uh, this is when he, she, she he, basically he grabs a cactus from her, from her, 
from her room. And he brings it over there, and he's going to show her the experiment of transferring the cactus from one pile to the other. And when he did it, the cactus, he's like trying to be all happy, like, yeah, yeah, once I show her this cactus, you know, she's going to like me, brother. And uh, she, he transfers it over, and the cactus is all fucked up. Yep. <laughs> it actually kind of looks cooler, right? Yeah, I know. Like, actually, like, kind of cool. Yeah. The way it looks, but. But yeah, yeah, but he fucked the cactus up though, trying to transfer it. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to happen. He says. Yeah, well, this, he's like, oh, this wasn't happening. She's like, well, I gotta go, but uh, keep trying. And maybe you should, <laughs> maybe you should beta test it first. I was like, damn, she gave me that science. Fucking, he told, he told, she told a science to beta test it. They hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes to her, and is all like, listen, like, do you want to hang out with me? It's like, I don't really got no friends around here. I just got a bunch of acquaintances, but, you know, I want you to be my friend. She's like, okay. He's like, well, I go to dinner breaks every 10 at 10, 10 night. He's like, perfect. I'll see you there. I was like, so this guy, he, you know, even being five years old, man, he knows how to pursue the women. Yep. All right. So now he is, um, so he's, he's, he's trying to work on some stuff on the computer to fix the plant. Um, and then the the guard. I know this is when um, um, uh, uh, Beth she leaves, and the guard talks to the our boy uh, Scorby, the, the main guard. Mm. He's talking to Martin. He's like, "Oh, see, you got yourself a girlfriend." And he touches his shoulders like, "She got a nice ass." He's like, oh, <laughs> "What a heel!" Yeah, he's that guy. He's that that heel asshole guard or asshole. Yeah. Well, he's not always a guard, but he's that heel asshole that's in every every movie, right? And especially every movie like this. Yeah. So now Martin's next scene. He's getting another shot in his arm by Janeway. And every time we do this shot with Janeway, this guy, she's like, "Stop fidgeting! Stop fidgeting!" He's like, "Fuck! I'm not even moving." Okay. So Martin gets done, and he and Martin's basically telling him like, "Hey guys, I like slept two hours last night." You know, I think I'm like changing a little bit. Like something's going on. She's like, no, we, we, two hours is nothing to be normal or nothing like that. You know, we, we, we monitor you 24-7 and there's no no change yet. And he's like, I don't know if that's really true and stuff. Like I feel a little different. And then the needle breaks in his arm. He gets all pissed and he goes away. Mm-hmm. And they're like, fuck it. <laughs> I like my notes here. <laughs> <laughs> then we get... Put yourself co- over, brother. <laughs> <laughs> then we get country lovemaking music. <laughs> with the there's like there's like dance it's like it's like marty and beth dancing in the fucking laboratory 17 with all the pods there <laughs> so good all right they they fucking uh I love making music that's so good it's like well i think i wrote down a little bit of the lyrics it's like they stalk <laughs> and they tear drops all right so then they fucking they, they do fishing in the laboratory they eat and they uh, they work on the tubes so we see a little montage <laughs> yeah. of them getting along. Yeah, montage. Exactly. <laughs> Country love making music, brother. <laughs> Gotta love it. So she invites uh Marty to her uh to her she 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 after the montage love making music, she invites Marty to like an yeah. office party. Yeah. And Marty's like, oh fuck, there's gonna be people there. And I, I don't talk to people. And I was thinking, is this Allison? Like, <laughs> I was gonna, I was just gonna fucking say that. I'm like, that's exactly, that's exactly how it'd be. Are there gonna be like, people there? I'm not gonna. Go. I also, we got a work party. I was like, are you guys gonna be there? Like, yeah, fuck you. How's that going? <laughs> oh god, that was great. And, and then she eventually like agrees. It's like because she's leaving. He's like, okay, I'll be there. So they get to the party, 
Beth's all talking with her friend. Oh, yeah, the guy's, uh, he's cute and everything, but he's shy. All right, then Marty hears some people, like people at the party. And then like this, I didn't really hear what they were saying, but they were kind of like walking past him. And one guy says, yeah, it keeps the liquor in the ticker. <laughs> and I was like, what the? Okay. What the fuck does that mean? It's so like apparently, they, apparently they had some sort of creature in this laboratory and they're saying they're keeping it around. So Mario's like, okay, maybe I'll go check out to see what this creature is. I'll find out what the creature is. Yeah. yeah. So he goes there in his own room, in that little creature 80s looking room. Yeah. Uh, with the pit, the pit of doom. Mm. He's looking in there. Of course, like, and he hears a noise. And out pops that fucking dog. That demon mm. dog that Bartok said was dead and didn't suffer. He sees it alive, trying to barely eat its stew. Yes. Yeah. It's like, stew. Um, yeah. It's just so this is how you know that the corporation is truly evil. Yes. Because they didn't even euthanize the dog like they said they were going to. They kept it around to see what would happen. Yes, exactly. And we see the dog, you know, obviously it's in pain, but obviously it's a mutated yeah. dog, so there's a, you know, a lot of what's going on. Marty's like, you know, getting upset. And then he sees Beth goes up to him, he's like, Hey, what's going on? I was like, Get away from me, get out get out of here. She's like, What the fuck? So he runs out of there mm. and he's like, Don't talk to me again and you don't have clearance for lab seventeen anymore. And she's like, What the hell just happened? Like she doesn't really know what's going on. And uh-huh. I also thought this part was really funny. The whole the whole clearance thing, I yeah. think, is hilarious. Oh, yeah. I mean, I understand it, yeah. but it's like his whole world revolves around clearance, and he's like, "You no longer have clearance." Yeah, like the, to to, to to him, him not they're not hanging out. Okay, is not a big deal. But now that he took away her clearance, that's the big deal. Okay. Yeah. Now, next time, uh, next time I'm dating someone or going out <laughs> with someone, and then I just get tired of seeing them, and they just bore me like always. I'm, that's exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to call him up and say, you no longer have clearance. Maybe I could do that and to just, my Beth. You know what I, mean? uh, I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, yeah, there's a scene in here that there's no way if I had my Beth that this wouldn't happen. We'll get there. She, she would. Uh, she would, we'll, she would her reply we'll to that there. is would be, her we'll, reply to that would be, uh, <laughs> you're lucky you have clearance at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now we see uh, Martin. He goes to the little demon lair pit. And he starts petting the dog, and then he eventually chloroforms his ass and takes the dog out mm. of his misery. So pretty sad scene. Yeah. So now Martin <clears throat> is uh, he's in a pod, naked, and he's scanning himself. All right, and he mm-hmm. gets out of the pod, and he's basically trying to scan himself um, to see if the what kind of specimen is, is in him. You know, like what. It, if it's growing or not. He's, he's trying to get his own research about his own self because like, obviously the, the people at the Bordocks are not telling him what's going on, so he wants to see it. And and then, event, then he goes... Um, so this is also, too, when he's uh, going to get a shot and he's telling the uh, the Norman guy, like, hey, you know, I think I'm growing at a, at, like, at a faster weight. And he's like, no, you know you're not. Everything's fine. You know, do you trust me? He's like, you know, screw all this shit. Wait a minute. So... Go ahead. He thinks he, he, you know, I think I, I think I'm growing at a faster rate. Like, no, you're not. Like, even though he was only born like four years ago. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, well, he, he thinks so. the uh, the mutation <laughs> that he has is growing at a faster rate. Oh, I see. Okay, I got you. I so after this, he so we see we cut back to Beth. She has some flowers on her table, and she gets a card, and the card basically has the clearance on there. Okay, so she she got Aww. she got back her clearance. No, 
And this is the part I was going to talk about. Yeah. Right? So, so Martin Martin freaked out mm-hmm. on Beth about the dog that she had no, no. He basically blamed her about the dog being there, even though she didn't know anything it, about it. All but right? it's understandable. Took away her clearance. Yes. Mm-hmm. He gets there and he apologizes. He says, mm-hmm. he "says I'm sorry." And she's like, "Oh, don't be sorry." I was like, "I don't know, man." <laughs> No, not all women are that forgiving that quickly. <laughs> I mean, you took away her clearance, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. So my best would have been like, see, I told you, motherfucker, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> and uh... So she's like, oh, don't be sorry, and I missed you. All right? And then he gives her a pussy cat. All right? Uh-huh. And he says, okay, put the cat in the tube. She's like, I don't want to do that. Great, right? he's like no don't worry about it don't worry about it just do it he's like do you trust me he's like I trust you piss the button cat comes through and it's okay and I was just thinking you know what like whatever happened to that bamboo from fly too that was okay whatever happened to him why do you always say bamboo what was he called it's a baboon it's a baboon that monkey whatever happened to that monkey it's a a baboon yeah yeah. anyway I just think it's funny you say bamboo the the bamboo from the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what? What well, happened I, to him? I actually meant to bring that up in the last episode. Like the ba- the bamboo just disappears from the first movie. Yeah, we were supposed to do weeks and weeks of tests on him, and we don't know what happened to him. And he just disappeared. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so now. Oh, this um, is my fa- this is one of my favorite parts. So the cat's okay. Yes. That's all happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. He's all like, she's like, well, how did you do this? He's like, well, what I did was I just started from scratch. All right. Mm-hmm. He said. Yeah, all those other scientists and those Bardock employees, they were trying to think of that like a scientific mind. But they forgot one thing. They forgot the beauty in the process. He like stares at her. I'm like, oh man, okay. And then it worked. Yes. They're all done having sex in the next scene. I was like, damn, that's all you had to yeah. do? Give a girl a cat and say you're beautiful? Bro, this guy, he's glowing up quick. Well, you got to teleport the, the cat first. You got to be a genius. It's true. Yeah, which gets you know pretty much kicks us out of this whole scenario. Yes. But um, and now like so, two, so they're know. not doing like that that uh, that insect uh, uh, fly sex that our boy Seth was doing. All right, no, Ronnie. Now they're normal. doing like they're like they're doing like passionate ones. And I mean, it, I guess we didn't say anything about her being pregnant, but I guess you can make that kind of like the third movie. <laughs> I thought they were just gonna pass it down, you know, keep passing it down. Well, there's just <laughs> constant like yeah. uh, accidental pregnant fly pregnancies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now we see that Martin he's actually fully asleep now. All right, where it's you know, he's changing a little bit, going to sleep, and Beth wakes him up. Kind of wakes up, kind of freak. You know, he kind of freaks out because he's probably not used to sleeping. Right. Um, and then it's all of a sudden he can sleep for some reason. Yeah. And then he sees the. <clears throat> where they try to put the shot in his arm, it's like growing now. It looks infected. And she said, "Oh, you better go get that looked at." But he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> so now he goes. Well, doesn't he? Doesn't he just say that? Oh, it's just like a little. Uh, yeah, just like a little uh, wound or something. Like a wound or something, and and the, she takes the thing off, and it's just like, <laughs> like pus, <laughs> like gooping out of it. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like and you he need starts, to have uh, It looks like he's taking like cobwebs out of it too. Yeah, it's disgusting. So he's back at his computer. And he asks his computer. Now, so this computer apparently doesn't have that 
talking technology that our boy Seth did. You have to actually type no, on this one. You have to type on it, yeah. Yeah. Only your boy Seth, he's the only one that created the uh the Amazon. The Amazon the Alexa, <laughs> Alexa. Yeah. So he asked the computer, is it feasible to remove mutant DNA during teleportation sequence? Computer's like negative. negative. Removal of DNA will result in molecular genetic dis- uh, dissolution. He's like, fuck. He's huh. like, all right. Well, can it be re- can it be replaced? And it's like possible. And I'll show you a little example. So basically, if you if you go in a pod with a donor, basically what it would do it would just switch out the DNA. Uh, so yeah. so let's say I'm a fly demon and I go in there with the human, mm-hmm. I would get his DNA, and then the the guy the, the guy I put it in there, the person, the donor, would get the fly DNA. They would switch. Right. So it is possible to get it out that way, but you have to have a willing donor. And he's just like, well, fuck, who the hell is going to do that shit? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> or an unwilling donor. Yeah. You just have to have a donor. Yes, yeah, so you just got to have a donor. So now, um, so now he goes back to that, that Norman guy. He's like, hey, you know, my arm's getting worse over here. All right. And this is like, okay, well, you know, we need to check it out. And don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. We just got to, you got to trust me. And this uh, medication will work. So now, so now we're, we see a scene back with Bardock. And then uh, Janeway comes in there saying like, hey, you know, his, uh, his cells are growing a lot more now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, we, we prepared for this. So let's get what we prepared to do. Let's get it going. So Beth, now Beth is she's trying to she's trying to get into her computer filing lab. All right. Then we have the guard show up. That Scorby, he's all like, "Is like, are you trying to get in there?" He's like, "Yeah." It's like you don't got no clearance no more, do you? Huh? She's like, he's like, "Well, guess what? You've been transferred." You don't have to be on the night shift that you don't want anymore. He's like, well, this is across town. I was like, yeah. I guess that's what yeah. you get for messing around with that, with Bardock's pet freak. Now, here's, so, a, video, now here's, like, here's a videotape, only for your eyes. <laughs> so, I, I wanted to bring this, this up. <clears throat> so, in every, nearly every workplace, there's always that guy, right? Yeah. There's always a score. And that's why he's in this movie. So there's always that guy who's talking about shit he shouldn't be talking about. Yeah. There's always that guy that's talking about, you know, fucking underage girls or, you know, like sexually harassing, you know, women in the workplace that will have absolutely nothing to do with him. And he's always the stupidest person that you have and you don't know why he doesn't get fired. He, there's always that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Every workplace has that guy. And now he's being that guy by sit, giving her a videotape of her and, uh, of uh, and Marty having sex. Yeah. Just to be an <clears throat> asshole. Yep, just to be a dick. Yep. Yep, just to be a dick and because I hate he, that guy. Yeah. And every time I see that guy in a workplace, I always hate that guy. Oh yeah. And I hate this guy. So now Martin he he, he you know, he, they didn't meet up for their 10 o'clock meeting. So Martin's trying to call outside to see what's going on cuz he also needs some help cuz he only has one friend, which is Beth. And then Beth, she's trying to reach Martin too, but then she tries to call up the workplace and they say, there's no Martin that works here. No. So eventually Martin, he gets an outside line to work. Because he's a genius. Yeah, because yes. 
And he said, he said, saying, hey, you know, there's something. He talks to Beth. He's like, oh, Beth's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you this whole time. He's like, yeah. He's like, I just, there's something wrong with me. I think I need, I need some, like, I need to get it going. And she's like, he's like, Marty Bartek knows. He knows about us. He filmed us in bed. And boy, you never seen a more pissed off guy. He's like, you ain't getting my shit on fucking, uh, <laughs> you ain't getting my HHS. shit on fucking Pornhub or motherfucker. <laughs> all right. You got to pay some good money for that one. You get it for free. <laughs> no. Nope. Or what, 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 what would have been during, uh, the, during the eighties? What kind of porn tape? Like what, what is it going to be like those, uh, what is it? Those, uh, those, do- what, what do they call those theaters? Those snuff films or no, no, like the no, snuff look, theaters. Uh, Grindhouse, no, just like a grindhouse. Well, no, well, yeah. kind of. And yeah. Grindhouse was not really a porn theater. I mean, it did show some like softcore porn, but yeah. there were actually porn theaters during the eighties. Yeah, he's like, so I hear. I, I was a kid, but so like, you're gonna show my fucking passionate ones on there, brother. So he goes to the room, starts fucking up the whole room. You see these guards, like, mm-hmm. oh boy. <laughs> so he smashes a bunch of mirrors, and then he realizes that the video recording was in a huge ass speaker. Mm-hmm. Did you see that thing? gigantic speaker like what what did he use that speaker for did he have like surround sound in his TV <laughs> room that he never used? <laughs> he likes to listen to metal church really really loud yeah exactly that's that's yes he was there like in his turntable hooked up to a surround speaker listening to metal church what i thought was hilarious uh-huh. about this scene was so when he starts tearing up the whole room to try to destroy the cameras yeah the shots that we were getting were like looked like they were shot through the cameras yeah. And he was like destroying everything in the room except what the, what, what actually had the camera in it. Yeah, exactly. And the <laughs> guys are like, oh, you found it. Because <laughs> you destroyed everything else. <laughs> yeah, then they, the, the, the guards uh, talk up to, to Bartok. And he said like, hey, the kid's mm-hmm. found it and shit. Then, they, then it cuts off. He's like, where is he? He's like, I'm not sure. And he breaks through the fucking door, tells these guards <laughs> to leave. And then he starts going through all the these notes and tapes. So we have a couple of notes and tapes he goes through. When he's in this little hidden room. So the first uh, tape he sees is a Barnes saying like, he's like, listen, guys, I told you to get that thing out of you, out of her. The fucking Seth guy, he was just trying to, you know, he's trying to find no cure. We got to get it out of her. I told you guys. Yep. And then he sees um, another tape of um, Bartok introducing him, basically telling him like, hey, you could, Martin, you could think of me as your dad. And then he sees uh, the tape um, of uh, he sees the uh, the the tape of uh, um, of, of him of the sex tape. He sees that on there, yeah. and he's like starts freaking out some more. And then and then uh, <clears throat> and then he sees another tape of Seth, his dad, talking about the fly fusion, like the whole backstory to it. About like how he fused with the fly and everything, and how it changed up his DNA and it's changing himself. And then, and then now Bardock shows up. He's like, "Up!" Oh. He's like, "Hey, no, there's no pretending anymore. All right, you are gonna be infused with this creature." Mm-hmm. And then, and then Barnes like, "Well, I can get better. Like, just keep getting that medication." He's like, "There is no medication. We were just putting water in you." Mm-hmm. So they were faking it. Just to make sure, like, if he had some sort of glimpse of hope. But then he goes on this whole Scooby-Doo villain, villain speech saying, listen, you are going to be one of the most genetic creatures rare of all time. And you are going to be the prototype to a whole new genetic world that only Bartok will control, brother. If it wasn't for you 
Bashley kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then <clears throat> and then he was like, this was planned on the day you were born. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about the process. It won't be painful. And he's all like, I loved you. That's what Martin says. I loved you like you're my dad. And then he pushes him and runs away. And he's like, oh, then he, then now Bartok's sending all the, 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 um, the guards after him. So he's like flying through all the gates and stuff. Now we can see like he's getting his uh, dad's power where he's like, has like, you know, can fly and do some of his uh, super strength. So we have the uh, Scorby uh, guard trying to go fight him. And then he eventually fights a little bit with Martin. Like he kind of traps him. He's all like, Martin, he's like, if you want to get out of here, boy, you got to go through me. And then he like punches it down. And then he goes to him. He's like, hey, Martin, I really enjoyed that tape you did with your girl. She's like a jackhammer. Hate that guy. All right. And then he like throws her, throws his ass through a fucking window. <laughs> yep. And he gets on out of there. He like runs away. So he does go through Scorby to get out of there. Yes, exactly. So Scorby now tells uh, Bardock that he'll get him back. All right. And he's like, you better get him back. So now the, um, so now there, so now we have um, Bardock going to the, uh, one of his main, doctors and saying okay we, we got to get this process going now um because like so basically you know the martin he already he, he we've seen that he he, he already kind of perfected the machine you know because they, they already had that cat go through and they've been right. monitoring the whole time so they know that cat was going through so now he's basically saying okay we can work on this machine without having to have martin around because he already fixed the machine but martin's smart and he encrypted the machine with the password. What's the magic word? And it's all like, it's like, we can't do this right now. They encrypted it with the password. And it's all like, if we do the wrong password, all the files were erased. And of course, one doctor's like, well, we know the password. You know, it's going to be, well, we said, what's the magic password? You know, he's like, he acted like he knew what it was. And he's like, only Marty knows what it is. So we can't, we can't trouble with it unless we get the real password. <clears throat> so now we have Marty. He is now on like a fishing dock. All right. And apparently that's where like Beth lives. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he goes yeah. to her house and stuff. His face is all getting fucked up like his dad was. You know, slow slow progression on it. And he he said like, you know, I didn't have anywhere to go. I was so worried. Um, If you want, you know, I can leave and stuff. Just about on the base where I look. And she's like, no, no, don't worry about that. You know, you can stay here. And he's like, you know, they're probably going to come after me. And he says, like, you know, I just need some help. Can you help me? She's like, yes, I'll help you. So all the uh, the Bardock guards show up at the house. They see that he's not there. Um, Scorby tells Bardock that they're not there. And he's like, oh, don't worry, but I'll get him in time. Bardock's like, time is something we don't have the luxury to. So now that we see that Beth and Martin, they have now arrived at a, uh, like a hidden mansion. All right, <clears throat> and they go up. To, and right. I, I don't really know where they found this guy. Maybe they looked on a phone book or something. Maybe. So they they knock on the door, right? And it's like this hidden mansion. And the guy's like, "Go away, go fuck off." It's like, no. He's like, he's basically telling him to go fuck off. And then the Martin's like, "I am Seth Brindle's son." And he opens the door, and we can see it's Barnes. He's all like, "Yeah, from the first movie." From the yeah. first movie, yeah, the evil, semi-evil, turned baby face news reporter guy. 
who right. now lives in a mansion all by himself with his artificial hand foot. And I guess he sold his newspaper to get a bunch of money to get a mansion. I have no idea. Yeah, maybe. So he ba- he basically tells him to go, oh, and that's a nice family reunion. You know, just come visit me sometime down the road. And he's like, you also kind of look old for five years old. And, you know, they're just saying, like, obviously the, uh, the mutation is coming up. Uh, so he closes the door on him. Martin breaks through. He's like, okay, just come on in. And he's just saying, like, you know, the the mutation's going fast. You know, you knew my dad and stuff. Like, you know, I'm just trying to find something like a cure. And he's all like, <laughs> he's like, listen, man, if you're coming here for a cure, I'm the last person you want to talk about. Okay? <laughs> no kidding. Your fucking dad, he stole my girl. All right? And he killed her. You know, because of the baby, you. And then he burnt my, he trying to eat and burn my hand and my foot. Okay, mm-hmm. and then after that, your fucking mom shot his ass in the fucking face. That's your cure right there. All right, the best like yeah. have some compassion. All right, <laughs> it's like well, it's kind of hard to have compassion, you know, when this guy was like trying to eat my ass. So yes. <clears throat> then they go on, and then it's like you know the answer that you're probably going to be seeking is going to be in the telepod, and then and then um, Martin's like, well, there is maybe something. He's like, well, there you go. He's like, but I'm not going to do that. He's like, that's probably, and then basically the the barn's like, listen, you can take my Jeep and get out of here, all right, but you're, the only answer you're going to seek to any kind of cure is going to be what you found in the telepod. I have really nothing for you. Mm-hmm. So they all leave in his, uh, they all leave in his Jeep. So we get a little cameo from our boy, Status, fucking guy. So <clears throat> they're in the Jeep, and now... Beth's like, should we just call Barnuck? You know, maybe explain to him what's happening. Guy's like, no, <laughs> they lied to me this whole time. They probably keep lying to us. So they stop at like a local like hotel, and this guy comes out in a bathrobe. I'm like, what kind of hotel is this? <laughs> and one <then, laughs> <laughs> the little the little things I noticed. The guy's like, okay, the we got. You know. He's like, he looks outside. He's like, okay, we got one bedroom. It's a queen size. Okay. He's just like, yeah. So then while he's out there getting the room, there's a newscast of saying there's a uh, effective Martin out there and, and there's a compass Beth and keep on the lookout for these guys. But the, but the, but the motel owner doesn't notice that. So they get a room, right. room number nine. And before they can get to the room, Martin like jumps and fucking runs across the street. Fucking truck almost hit him. Everything runs up the hill. Beth catches him, and basically, you know, Martin's just super scared because he doesn't, you know, he can't control himself with this accelerated fusion demon in, in him. And they both have, a, she's like, you know, I'll, I'll be by your side. Like, I'm not going to leave your side. That's what Beth was saying during this whole time. And they start crying a little bit together. And this next scene was actually probably like the most, I think this is like the the actual best scene of the movie, in my opinion. Because it was kind of creepy, that's why. <clears throat> so we see like a flycatcher. All right, that blue, like the little blue-looking light flycatcher. Yes. And then we cool. hear, and then we hear Martin like talking, kind of like creepy. Kind, he kind of sounds a little bit like his dad on this one. Like out, out the whole movie, he doesn't really have like that Jeff Goldblum accent. But then, like right when he's in this form, he sounds like a little bit like him. Mm-hmm. So it's all talk about like you know that light right there is very memorizing. 
It's like very like it's it's like very soothing. So he's like because he's turning into that in- insect, and those insects love those like you know those that that light that that UV light, you know. So we could see him turn a little bit more into an insect over here. <clears throat> and he's like, he's like that the, the light is just so like he's like so infatuated by this light that this blue light, and he's sitting on the couch. He's like almost full like insect demon right now, and he's going on yeah. saying like, he's like. He's like, she's like, she sees him. He's like, oh shit, we gotta get you some help and stuff. He's like, well, I, don't worry about it. I can help myself during this. He's like, I don't know. You can even walk right now. He's like, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I thought I was getting worse. All right, but I actually feel like I'm growing and I'm, I'm feeling stronger. You know, this whole time I thought I was very vulnerable. I thought I was very, you know, I was, I was hurting. I was dying, but I'm actually growing. And actually see things a lot more clearer now. And just the way he was saying everything was like pretty like creepy. You know what I mean? During the scene? Yeah. Yeah. I like the whole scene where he's like he's like um like uh drawn to the blue light like um like a like a bug catcher. Yeah. Like, you know, those electric bug zapper things. Cause, you know, it's just like I mean, you know, it's one of the only like real fly things that we have in the whole movie, but he's just like kind of drawn to this. It was just cool. It was a cool little uh little effect that I'm sure it came from yeah. Frank Darabont's writing. And now he's talking about like, you know, now how you see everything clearer now. So he takes out his eyeball. Right? He's like, I can yeah. see everything clearer now. And then this is my best, like, oh fuck this. <laughs> so she gets on out of the fucking room. And uh well before he before she leaves, I was like, if you stay in here, you will see a magic trick that you will never forget. So she runs out of the room, she calls Bartok, and they all show up in their white suits and everything. And of course, Bartok's there. This is the next morning. Helicopters, white suits, and everything. And Bartok just wants to know what is the fucking magic word. And of course, he doesn't tell him. So they're back at the laboratory, and apparently, <clears throat> Martin has now turned into a cocoon. All right. Wow. A yes. 1980s slimy cocoon. That's returning. Yeah, we didn't to. expect that, right? Yes. So now Bartok's saying, like, hey, this is the place we were born. And now this is going to be the place that you're going to be reborn. All right. And then, you, then, you know, and then you're going to tell me this magic word for these telepods when you get up. And so they start, um, they, and then during all this, they're, they're like, they're like hosing off Beth. And she's like asking for Mario the whole time. Cause they're trying to like, you know, make sure she's not con- contaminated with him. And the guard's like the, the the asshole guard guy is like looking on. So they're done cleaning Beth off, and then Bardock brings her brings her into the room. He's like, "All right, you're with you're with fucking Marty for a longer time. What the hell is this password?" That's all he wants to know is the fucking password. Right. So during all this stuff, Janeway she is in the uh, cocoon lair with with Martin. And she starts, you know, she starts noticing that, you know, a couple heartbeats because she did say originally that it's going to take him like a week to hatch from his cocoon. So they think they have some time. But, you know, like Marty, he's accelerating fast. She does a couple heart tests. She does a little needle test. And eventually Marty, Martin comes out of his cocoon and now he has turned into a fly demon. And he attacks Janeway. Did I mention that he has a lot of ooze in this? 
Lots of ooze, yeah. Yes. Like, uh, typical goo from a from a nineteen eighties horror film. Good, good, good looking goo. Yeah. So now, so now the uh, the other doctor Norman shows up. He's looking for Jane away. Doesn't see her at all, and then he eventually sees her hanging hanging from the ceiling. Freaks out, runs away, runs into the fucking Scorby. The guys, this guy's everywhere. Like every fucking scene, the Scorby guys. Tells her like Janeway is in there. The fucking Mario's awake. He's a fly now. He's like a demon guy now. So <laughs> Bardock, he still wants the code. All right, but then the guard comes in and saying that uh, Marty has waken up. He's like, well, who's seen him? He's like, well, fucking Janeway saw him. Now she's dead. All right, so they're all kind of like locked into the Lab 17 in there. And they want to lock the doors and everything. And then now he's saying, okay, well, every, now now Bardock's giving commands to have all the guards, um, you know, arm up and try to find him. But he doesn't want him dead. He just wants him captured. So now he's about, now we're in the, uh, he's in Corridor 8. We see like an angry dog. The dog goes up to him. Martin pets the dog. And the guards show up, nothing. So Martin, he's still in there. He, he's, he's a demon, mm-hmm. bug, fly, insect creature. But he's but still, still, yeah. They're still in there. Yeah. So now Norman goes downstairs with a little flashlight. <laughs> and he eventually just runs into the fly bug and it captures his ass. Uh, that was the, the the Norman the Norman doctor, <laughs> and then um, and then Bardock's like, okay, you know, where is he and stuff? He's like, well, sir, we don't really know what he looks like. So, oh wait, I see something. So he sees something like he sees Norman getting dragged away, and, and then they lock down all the hallways. They're trying to corner him, and they they eventually think they do corner him. Um, but a security card um looks out for him. He's trying to look for him and everything. And eventually he gets sneaked up behind of him, and then we finally see the uh. The acid, the acid, you know, the, how the flies eat people. But mm-hmm. this one, yeah. like, I don't know, they, they didn't do it as well. You know, because, like, you know, on the first movie, like, when uh, when Brindles was in the fly and he, and he acided uh, Barnes' uh, hand and feet, he was, like, happy as a camper doing that shit. This one was just, like, a normal, like, okay, we're here, here's some acid on your face, I'm going to leave. Like, he didn't even try to look like he was going to eat him or anything. Mm-hmm. So a little, a little different. So the guards all fucked different. up. Well, we got a cool scene with his face being all fucked up. So, <clears throat> so now they're trying to lock up, lock down some more doors. Uh, they're saying like, hey, you know, where we're at is safe, but we need to. There is a manual door we need to go look at. Okay, so we're, they're trying to go up there to the manual door. So now all the other guards, they see the fucked up guard now. So they're like, okay, we need to go back. They they, they figure out that uh, Martin has made his way down to Lab 17 by going through a bunch of air vents and stuff. So now they're trying to lock up some doors. But eventually Martin just comes and crashes through a window that was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all the all the guards basically just want to shoot him dead. But, but the whole thing is like, Bar's like, no, don't shoot him dead. He's like, well, he killed three people. He's like, well, that's sad. I'm not losing losing him over my life's work. Yeah, you know, it's more important to keep the guy alive. Yes. So now we're right now we're seeing um, Martin fight with a bunch of a bunch of some of the uh, guards. Eventually, we have a <clears throat> we have a, a an elevator fall on a guard, smashes his face right in front of Beth. We have uh, Martin. He's like put some acid on our boy uh, Scorby's hand. 
you know, Scorby's trying to shoot him. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. when Martin's there with around Beth, he is like still himself. He doesn't attack her at all. So now the after the um, Scorby got his hand burned off, he's pissed now. All right, and he's basically out to kill uh, Martin, no matter what. And Bartok's like, don't kill him. We need him there. So it's like, he's basically saying, like, kind of taunting him. Like, I'm going to kill this guy if I see him. So he tries to go find him. And so, the, and then during all this stuff, the guards are trying, like, the other guards, since the, the, the area is locked, they're trying to, like, break in yeah. to, right. this, to this place as well. So eventually the guard, <laughs> so the fly goes up behind Scarbag and he grabs him. He just throws his ass around and he eventually kills up uh, uh, Scorby. So there goes Scorby. He has now been taking care of brother. All those fucking insults didn't do jack shit for you. They got you. Yep. Because you always kill the guy, right? He's that guy. Yep. He's that asshole piece of shit that you work with that does all that bullshit stuff that you hate. And then when he gets killed, it's satisfying. Yeah. And he throws his ass across the room too. And then Bardai yep. grabs uh, Scorby's gun, and this is when he was going to shoot Martin, but then Beth stops him, but then Martin tases Beth and gets her stunned. All right, and then he starts to shoot a little bit of Martin. All right, so now he's like, "Hey, if you know, if you come any closer, don't be rash. I'll do what I need to do." All right, yeah. and he shoots him again. He's about to shoot his ass, and he's like, "I wish it didn't have to come to this." He's like, but it does. But it does. And then he grabs him. Yeah. <laughs> grabs his hand. Martin does with his little fly demon hand. Brings his yeah. hand over to the computer. The magic word was dad. Oh. <laughs> Oof. And now the swapping process has begun. They go into the telepods together. Brings his ass in there. During this whole time, the guards are trying to break into. They're almost done breaking through. They get into the pod. Beth goes there, hesitates for like two seconds, presses the button. Guards break in. The teleport process does its process. They open up on the other door. It's a slimy 80s, the thing-like creature pops out. Mm-hmm. And basically they swapped. So now Bartok is now the head demon and he is pooping out Martin in a way. Uh, in a way, yeah. In a way. So Beth goes up to Martin. Martin's like, oh, Martin. She could see that his human body is being normal. And he brings all the goo off. And all the guards are just standing yeah. there like, well, I didn't like that fucking guy anyway. <laughs> yeah, because he's an asshole. Yeah, so then we cut back. Then we see that the pit that they keep the demon dog in. in now we can see that the pit is made for Bartok. So Bartok became the creation that he always wanted. He actually became the creation itself. And then we see a little fly on the bowl. And that's it, brother. The fly too. Yeah. So you get your uh you get your uh your uh, justice justice, right? Yes. So Bartok, the guy who created all this misery for all these fucking people, Scorby gets what he deserves, and now Bartok has is is turned into this thing that he turned the dog into. Exactly. He got one over on himself, brother. Yep. Became the, became the evil he tried to create. He became it himself. And now they're just like staring at him. All the hospital dudes. 
And now we yeah. try to so do. I, I, now we write the. Now we write the fly book. Yeah, we write the fly book. Fly three. All right. There is actually like a. I think they did a comic book about some of the fly okay. universe and stuff. And wow. Okay. Yeah, you know, like you know, it's one of those things where you know there is material there to make it a bigger universe. You know, more movies and stuff. Yeah. But you know, here and there, we'll see if a couple other sequels come out. Yeah, we uh, we have a lot of sequels planned. Yeah. So we'll we'll put this on the back burner, or we'll put this in the in the in the yeah. sequence so that we won't get to it. The Fly Three, brother, the return of Martin. Who knows? <laughs> the return of the Fly with Vincent Price, yes. the Misfit song, right? So everybody, hope you guys enjoyed this. This finished up. This finished up our Fly reviews, but we're still going to be rolling on on the month of April. Still talking all about scientists and scientists going mad with their crazy creations mm-hmm. and doing some fucked up demon shit or doing some slimy creature stuff. And we're keeping that train rolling, brother, because next week here on the Retro Blood, we will be reviewing the very first reanimator. Ooh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Me too. I've been looking forward for this one for a long time, brother. It's going to be a fun one. Maybe a little bit more lighthearted than a couple of movies that we've seen, but it's going to be very fun. And not only that, though, because mm-hmm. after we do Reanimator, we are going to be doing a movie that the creators of Reanimator also did. And that one is yep. From Beyond. Yes. I've mm. also wanted to do this for a while, too. I can't wait to watch that which one, is, brother. Which is, which is based on an H.P. Lovecraft book. Ooh, book. All right. Ooh, yeah. Can't wait for that one. And the the, the take us home for April. We're gonna have a mystery review. Everybody, Ooh, mystery review. So we'll let you know that one on from beyond of our last crazy scientist movie to do in the 1980s. So month's been fun so far. I've been very very enjoying it. This one was a it's a long review, but it's well worth it. We got a lot of material in here. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. Hope you come and join us next week as we continue the the, the scientist train over here on the retro blood. And since, you know, I did a little bit of the music, how about we end with some acid rain, brother? Yeah, from, from let's the, do it. From the album The Fear. How about we end with Humanoid? Because, of course, our boy Martin, that's all he wanted to be. He, all he wanted to be is a humanoid. Yep. You know, he went from three years old, five years old, now he's a 20-year-old man, a five-year-old body, kid, brain. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he got that demon out. He got the love of his life here, Beth. He's going to be exploring, doing medical science. Who never knows what he's going to be doing later on. But he, mm. he got the fly out of him. He got the demon out of him. And now he can yep. be a normal man. He is just a normal humanoid. But everybody, that's it for the Retro Blood for this week. J. Austin, James Klein, we will see you next time. See you guys.